Gentlemen, January 26th, you are listening to the Sports Loudmouth 631-672-3108 is the number to call. Remember, you can check out our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com and check out all our shows. Our shows are live throughout the week. Uh, obviously, you just missed the Wise Guys, which is live live every single Thursday. Check them out before our show at 7 p.m. Uh, with Trey, uh, you know, Trey, a.k.a. Wise Man himself. Uh, you can check out all our shows throughout uh, throughout the week. It's great shows, and our show, uh, which, is air, which airs live every Wednesday at 7 p.m. and Thursdays at 9 p.m. Speedy, what's up, man? I want to give a give a shout out to the uh, the family uh, thoughts and prayers of uh, Jesse Lemonet, a twenty uh, five year old linebacker that passed away. He used to play for the Detroit Lions. Uh, cause of death not known, but very sad on on that. So shout out to his family and all the Detroit Lions teammates in the community. Uh, rest in peace, Lemonet. So many different. I know athletes. so many random deaths. It's it's insane. You think it has anything to do with COVID nineteen? I don't know. It, this uh, cause of death is unknown right now. So I those know. shots. I mean, we've been hearing. Uh, Hollis was on yesterday. Yeah, he was talking right. about uh, he he's not going to throw anybody under the bus, and he's not going to really, you know, throw it like he's throwing, I guess, dice or something. But I I, I do believe there has something that has something to do with it. But uh, I mean, I'm not a political guy, and I'm not a medical guy, so I can't give you the answers to that. But uh, it's a crazy, crazy story. A lot of deaths uh, all over the country: actors, musicians, and now athletes. All. Losing their lives and very young too. Yeah, I mean, how old was he? Twenty-five. Twenty-five years old. He hasn't even lived a quarter of his life. Mm-hmm. So there you go. Uh, at nine thirty, we'll be talking to former Falcons, Titans, and Eagles safety and founder of Sneakerhead University, our friend Antoine Harris. He'll be joining us. Can't wait to have Antoine. We'll be going to a sneaker, uh, you know, function this weekend at the Prudential Center. We're very excited for that, but. Uh, Antoine will be joining us a little bit later in the show. At 10 o'clock, we'll be talking to former Cowboys, Broncos, and Jaguars defensive end and founder of Mr. Mintz production, Jeremy Mincy. He'll be joining us for the first time, so we're very excited about that. A lot of crazy things happening here in New York. Uh, Rainstorms. It's cold. It's warm. It's 50 degrees today. It was 36 degrees the other day. Uh, I mean, if you want to talk about flu season, this is... Is flu season here in New York. But uh, we're going to get into, obviously, the Jets and their new hire, Nathaniel Hackett, as uh, he is the new offensive coordinator for the New York Jets. What does that say about Aaron Rodgers? Do the Jets make a move uh, in the next couple of weeks for the star quarterback from the Green Bay Packers? We will get into that. Panthers hire Frank Wright 
as the next head coach. So uh, Frank Wright now has a job. And, and believe it or not, Frank Wright was introduced or was apparently introduced as the new head coach for the Carolina Panthers. And then all of a sudden, Nathaniel Hackett was signed by the New York Jets. So I, I think the Jets were waiting for Frank Wright to make his decision. And as soon as he pounced on the Carolina Panthers job, uh, the Jets hired, obviously, Nathaniel Hackett. They wanted a veteran. He was the best, best veteran offensive uh Offensive coordinator that was available, so the Jets get their guy. Dan Quinn says he is staying with the Cowboys. I wonder why. Nobody offered Dan Quinn a head coaching job. I'm very surprised about that. He's one of the best defensive coordinators in the NFL. You've seen what he has done for the Cowboys throughout the last couple of years and and the transition of this defense. Yes, they have Micah Parsons and Lawrence and, and Van Der Esch. They're great players, but you need a good defensive coordinator to really lead this defense. And, and, and in the last two years, this has been one of the more dominant forces in the NFL. So Dan Quinn will be back with the Cowboys next year. How should a slumping New York Islander team approach the NHL trade deadline? I've got a couple answers to that a little bit later in the show. Scott Rowland joins Fred McGriff as the only two players to make the Baseball Hall of Fame this year. Uh, We didn't get into it yesterday. We will get into it tonight. Cam Reddish getting a lot of trade interest across the NBA. Um, He's not playing for the New York Knicks, so again... The Knicks will be looking to move him. I don't know what they're going to get for him, uh, but I'm sure there's a few teams like the Lakers, the Golden State Warriors. There are teams. Miami was one. Miami's another team that's looking at him. So uh, we will get into that. LeBron James says Bronny is good enough to play for any college in the country. Well, that's news to me. (laughs) So we'll get into that in AFC NFC championship game picks. So the story today first was the hiring of Frank Wright. And Frank Wright, over the last couple of years uh, for the Indianapolis Colts, was not getting enough from the quarterback position. They brought in Carlson Wentz, a guy that uh, he was the offensive coordinator for with the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, The Philadelphia Eagles decided after the injury to uh, bring in Nick Foles, if, if you remember. He was retired. They bring him back. He wins a Super Bowl with the Philadelphia Eagles. And Carlson Wentz's career was practically over. He gets traded to Indianapolis. He was there for a year. I thought he put up pretty good numbers as an Indianapolis Colt. But the last three games of the season, his numbers just faded and the team faded. They missed out in the playoffs or missed out going to the playoffs. And there were stories coming out from the locker room that he wasn't getting along with some of the players, some of the offensive linemen. And they gave up on him and they decided to let him go. Then they decide to bring in Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan was there for a whole year, lost his starting job from a third-string quarterback, gets his starting job back in the middle of a season because... Jeff Saturday wasn't going to start a third-string quarterback. And this team just absolutely failed in every possible way when they brought in um, a guy like Matt Ryan. A Matt Ryan who, to me, over the last, I would say, 15 years was one of the elite quarterbacks in the NFL. One of the top 
five top seven quarterbacks. He won an MVP when he was in Atlanta. But obviously his career was done. And Frank Wright really put his career on the line. He put his job on the line in Atlanta. I mean, I'm sorry, in Indianapolis when he decided to go after Matt Ryan. And Matt Ryan failed. And because Matt Ryan failed, Frank Wright was fired. Now, Frank Wright, to me, is one of the best and one of the more known good offensive coordinators in the NFL. If you look at his numbers as an offensive coordinator and some of the quarterbacks that he was uh, the offensive coordinator for, they've all been successful. Carson Wentz was an MVP candidate when he was the offensive coordinator for the Philadelphia Eagles before he got hurt, before he tore his MCL and ACL trying to run the ball in uh, on the goal line. Frank Wright has been all over the place. Over the last couple of years, as uh, as a head coach for the Indianapolis Colts, it just didn't work out. Now, do I think he's going to work out in Carolina? I don't know. Right now, their quarterback, their starting quarterback right now, is Sam Darnold. We all know all about Sam Darnold here in New York. Sam Sam Darnold failed in New York. Now, maybe the Jets failed on him. He goes to Carolina. The Jets trade a second and a fourth for him. You know what the Jets got for him in the next year in in the draft? But to me, he's going to a team that has a good offensive line. A team that played well in the second half. Sam Darnold showed a little bit of life when he took over after Baker Mayfield was let go, was put on waivers, and he went to the Rams. And this defense really, in the second half of the season, played extraordinary. They really did. They were one of the best defenses in the NFL the last five weeks of the NFL season. So now Frank Wright's going to a team. He's going to rebuild a team. Do I think he's going to fail there? I don't know, but he has pieces. He has some good pieces moving forward where he can obviously win with. The NFC is weak, as we all know. Him being in the AFC with with all those great quarterbacks and all those great teams, he was in a very weak division, no question, with the Texans, the Jaguars before Trevor Lawrence was there. That that division was horrible, and the Titans were the – I guess the the lead team in that division, the best team in that division because of Ryan Tannehill? No. (laughs) But obviously the coaching over there, I think Mike Rabel is a a very good coach. But he goes to the NFC. It's a very weak division. It's anybody's division next year because Tom Brady's not going to be back next year. Atlanta's rebuilding. And Carolina really, and and I'm not going to say anything about the, the, the Saints because I don't know what the Saints are. Is Jameis Winston starting next year? Is uh, Hill starting? Is Hill starting? Is is Andy Dalton going to be there? Are they going to make a trade for a Derek Carr or an Aaron Rodgers or a Lamar Jackson? I don't know. What I do know is that he is positioned very, very well taking that job in Carolina. And after we found out, Adam Schefter posted up that Frank Wright is going to take the job for Carolina. He posts up that the Jets announced that they're going to hire Nathaniel Hackett as their new offensive coordinator. Now, what does that say right now? What does that sell to the Jet fan right now? It probably, and I said this yesterday on the show, 
in the beginning of my monologue, if the Jets land Nathaniel Hackett and they decide to move forward with Nathaniel Hackett, which a lot of people thought was going to take a year off, he's still getting paid. He got a lot of money. Last offseason, taking the coaching job for the Broncos, it didn't work out over there with Russell Wilson. I thought he was not going to come back this year. I thought he was going to sit out and figure out things like Kingsbury is probably going to do and then come back next year, maybe getting an offensive coordinator job. Maybe a head coaching job will be available that maybe another team would be interested in hiring him. But he took the Jets job. I believe there's a reason behind this hire from the New York Jets. Robert Sala had a press conference today after announcing that Nathaniel Hackett will be the new head head offensive coordinator for this organization moving forward in 2023. And there were some interesting questions by the press pretty much saying, now that you brought Nathaniel Hackett, are you going to be looking for a quarterback in the offseason? And Robert Sala says, we have a good quarterback in Zach Wilson. We believe in Zach Wilson, but we will definitely be out there looking for some veterans that we can bring in that would be interested in coming to play for this organization. Then somebody asked, are you looking for a a quarterback that can play in the cold? Pretty much assuming that this is a foregone conclusion that Aaron Rodgers will be the next starting quarterback for the New York Jets. Now, Peter King said something very, very interesting the other day uh, in, in one of his stories that he wrote after this whole Aaron Rodgers, Nathaniel Hackett thing came out. And this has been going on for the last week. This isn't just yesterday that Nathaniel Hackett was the lead guy to get this job. It's been about a week we've been hearing that the Jets loved the interview. They brought him in for a second interview. And Nathaniel Hackett was a guy that uh, Robert Sala really, really liked. But I also believe that this was a draw to bring Aaron Rodgers to New York. Now, I don't know what's going to happen. and I'm, I'm, Again, it, there's still a couple of weeks left. There's still a Super Bowl after this week. The AFC and NFC title games. There's two weeks of, you know, getting ready for the Super Bowl and then the Super Bowl. And then a week, you have about a week before you can tr- obviously make a trade for a player. Derek Carr has to be traded four days after the Super Bowl or he is either going to be in his contract or waived out of his contract. So there's a lot of decisions the Jets have to make in the next couple of weeks because to me, the two guys that the Jets are interested in is Derek Carr and Aaron Rodgers. Lamar Jackson's going to be too expensive. Lamar Jackson's going to probably cost the Jets two first-round draft picks and a third and a fourth. Plus $40 million a year. Plus $40 million a year. Aaron Rodgers, I know everybody keeps saying that Peter King came out and said that the the Green Bay Packers are looking to trade him in the AFC, not the NFC, but they're also looking for two first-round draft picks. I can't see any team giving the Green Bay Packers for a 39-year-old two first-round draft picks. I can't see it. I think the Jets will look really, really stupid. So I, I do believe that the Jets will offer one draft pick, one first-round draft pick, and maybe a second. And I think going into this offseason, I don't think they'll give this year's first round. I think they'll give this year's second-round draft pick. But I think it makes a lot of sense while you sit back and you understand where the Jets are 
at, at the quarterback position, how desperate they are at the quarterback position, where the Jets have to decide where the best route to go at the quarterback position. Now, right now, the Jets are not a contender. They have a lot of talent. Elijah, Elijah Moore and, and Garrett Wilson and Brees Hall and Elijah Vera Tucker and, and all these youngsters that they have. Sauce Gardner. They have a great tandem of young players that can help them win. But right now, they don't have the one position that they've needed for the last 50 years since Broadway Joe. And I'm not a big Broadway Joe fan. <laughs> and I wasn't even alive for Broadway Joe. Bringing in Aaron Rodgers could be the same mistake when they brought in Brett Favre. And, and it's so interesting how, how these, these two quarterbacks that play for the same team, you know, back up in the same path. Yeah. If you remember in 2007, the last season for Brett Favre, he threw 4,155 passing yards. 66.5 completion percentage, 7.8 yards per pass, 28 touchdowns, 15 interceptions, with a 95.7 passing rating. That was his final year with the Green Bay Packers. And one glorious interception to Corey Webster in the NFC Championship game. That's right. And Aaron Rodgers, in his final game possibly with the Green Bay Packers, he had one of his worst seasons, 3,000. 695 passing yards, 64.6% completion percentage, 6.8 yards per pass, 26 touchdowns, 12 interceptions with a 91.1 passing rating, which is the lowest he's had in the last 10 years. Both quarterbacks still at the top of their game. You can look at the numbers. Aaron Rodgers had nobody to throw to this year, but still almost threw 3,700 yards. When was the last time you remember a Jet throw 3,500 yards? <laughs> Probably Ryan Fitzpatrick. Ryan Fitzpatrick. That was like five years ago. So Aaron Rodgers automatically would be the best quarterback the Jets have had since Ryan Fitzpatrick. So that is definitely an upgrade. The problem is, what are you going to give up for him? Now, let's look at Brett Favre's numbers. His only year as a New York Jet in 2008. He threw 3,472 passing yards, 65.7 completion percentage, 6.7 yards per pass, 22 touchdowns, 22 interceptions, which led the NFL that year in an 81 passing rating, which is absolutely horrible. Now, I'm not saying Aaron Rodgers is going to have those numbers in his first year with the Jets if the Jets make this trade. But the Jets didn't have to give up a first-round draft pick for Brett Favre. All they had to do was practically let go of Chad Pennington, who, by the way, eventually wins the division and takes the Miami Dolphins to the playoffs. That was the same year that Tom Brady tore his ACL, That really the only year that Tom Brady missed in his, what, 23, 24 years playing in the NFL. Matt Castle... Wins 11 games that year, and they, the Patriots don't even make the playoffs. And the Jets, yes, the lonely Jets had an 8-3 and three record before they played the New England Patriots on Thursday night football. And when the Patriots hurt Brett Favre, hurt his shoulder, which practically ended the Jets' season. Remember, they also beat the Titans, who were undefeated that year, too. Mm -hmm. 
was downfall since then for Brett Favre and for that Jets team. It was a bad collapse. They were 8-3 and three and finished 9-7. and seven So year. why am I bringing this up? Why am I throwing you these numbers right now? Not that I don't like Aaron Rodgers because I th- I've, I've loved Aaron Rodgers. Everybody that knows me, I think Aaron Rodgers is still an elite quarterback. This is a guy that a year ago was the MVP of the league. And the year before that, he was the MVP. To me, in the last 10 years, this guy has been the best quarterback in the NFL. It's not even an argument. Go look at the numbers. This guy is a fantastic quarterback. The problem is, is he's 39 years old, and you're putting all your eggs in a 39-year-old's basket. And you don't know if he wants to play football. You don't know how long he wants to be here. If you make the trade and you give up a first and you give up a second or you give up two firsts, what are you going to do if he decides after his first year he doesn't want to play in New York anymore. He doesn't want to deal with the press. He doesn't want to deal with this. He doesn't want to deal with that. Then Robert Sala gets fired. Then Joe Douglas gets fired. Then you have to change everything up. And then you set your team back 10 years. This team has talent for the first time in a very long time. As a Jet fan, I can honestly say the Jets have elite talent on this team. Sauce Garner could be the best corner in the league as a rookie this year. C.J. Mosley was a Pro Bowl player, I think, this year. Led, I think he was third or fourth in the league in tackles. Quinton Williams is a, is a first-team All-Pro player. You have players. Elijah Vera Tucker, before he got hurt, was probably an all-pro player who's one of the best guards in the league. Brees Hall, some people thought was going to win Offensive Rookie of the Year. Garrett Wilson, who probably will win Offensive Rookie of the Year. You have talent here. Now are you going to put all your eggs in, in that basket for a 39-year-old quarterback who might fail? Or, in two years, could take your team to your crazy, wildest dreams to a Super Bowl that you haven't seen in 53, 54 years. I don't know what Woody Johnson is thinking, but obviously he wants to win now. But buying a quarterback over the years, including Brett Favre, never works. Mm-hmm. Never. We've seen two big swings recently. Matthew Stafford with the Rams, and that won a Super Bowl, but now they're in kind of a purgatory state. And Russell Wilson with the Broncos last year, ironically coached by Nathaniel Hackett, that so far has not worked out. We'll see what they hire here. But, yeah, this is definitely an interesting hire to get that. I actually think Nathaniel Hackett also did well with the 2017 Jaguars. I should give yes, him a lot of credit for that, too. Because, remember, Allen Robinson was out pretty much that entire season, and Allen Hearns got hurt halfway through that season. And that was something that they had to overcome with – Keelan Cole, who later became a Jet, Marquise Lee, and T.D. Westbrook were their wide receivers, and Blake Bortles was their quarterback, and they had the 11th best offense in the league, and they went to the AFC Championship game, probably should have won. They got screwed by the Miles Jack being down call in the AFC Championship game, which could have given them a touchdown, could have given them a lot more time off the clock, whatever. But that year was impressive. Then two MVP years with Aaron Rodgers was impressive. Now we'll see if that is what they end up getting. His first year in the system in 2019 was still good, but wasn't as good. It was the second and third years that he was the MVP. So Aaron Rodgers will have to buy into it. Hopefully he does. He seems like he's very intrigued and optimistic with the Jets' talent based on what he said on the Pat McAfee you, show. You can't always believe what Aaron Rodgers says. I don't care if he was on Pat McAfee or he's on ESPN or he's on some Lady Deborah's radio show and over there in Guam, USA. It doesn't really matter 
who he's speaking to because we've heard Aaron Rodgers say so many things that were completely untrue. Aaron Rodgers would be the one to do a radio show in Guam. So. I'm just, I'm just, you're probably right. I mean, he loves going to different places all over the world. He was in South Africa last summer, so we all know that he likes to travel and see the world. But the problem here is, do you trust Aaron Rodgers wants to be there? If, if he says he's willing to be traded right now to the New York Jets, does he want to play there? Does he want to deal with the press? Does he want to deal with all the accolades that he is going to have to deal with, but he doesn't have to deal with in Green Bay? In Green Bay, you're in Wisconsin. All you have to worry about is cheese and beer. Right. That's it. Mm-hmm. There's the Milwaukee Brewers. There's the Milwaukee Bucks. And there is the great Green Bay Packers. That's it. That's uh, all you have to deal with. Mm-hmm. And also, uh, to keep in mind, too, going back to Nathaniel Hackett, you hope that this kind of thing will lure him because the Broncos, again, tried that last year to lure Aaron Rodgers and they traded for Russell Wilson instead once Aaron Rodgers signed. I don't think they're trying to lure Aaron Rodgers. I I, I really don't. I I think they thought, the Jets thought that Nathaniel Hackett was the best option at the offensive coordinator position. When you look at all the offensive coordinators that they interviewed, they were all kind of rookies. Quarterback, Quarterback coaches, wide receiver coaches, uh, assistant offensive coordinators. They they didn't interview any guy besides Nathaniel Hackett and Frank Wright, guys that were offensive coordinators and successful offensive coordinators in the league. And, and you heard Robert Saleh at the end of the season. You heard Woody Johnson at the end of the season. They wanted to bring in a guy that has experience as an offensive coordinator in the NFL. Now, to me, Nathaniel Hackett, after Frank Wright came off uh, the list of coaches that were available to be an offensive coordinator – Nathaniel Hackett was the best one. Now, everybody keeps talking about Gary Kubiak. I'm sure the Jets interviewed Gary Kubiak. I'm sure they liked Gary Kubiak. I don't know if Gary Kubiak wanted to come out of retirement. Mm -hmm. The last couple of years in Minnesota were not good either for him and for his son, too. So I don't know if that system is what you want with the Jets, too. You look at what the Vikings did this year with the different coaching staff altogether, and they were so much better offensively. And Nathaniel Hackett likes to throw the ball. He is a West Coast offense type of coach and and I and I know Robert Sala said that he doesn't care if it's west coast he doesn't care if it's east coast he doesn't care what kind of offense they're going to run he said that he just wants an offense that's going to run fluently and it works for this team with the talent that they have on the field any offense can work with this team you have the weapons you have the guys that can make plays in the open field and you have the running backs and now you have Brees Hall coming back. Hopefully he's 100%. Uh, we saw it took a little while for Saquon Barkley to get healthy with the Giants. And when he did, he exploded this year. And he's going to make a lot of money. Brees Hall has an opportunity to be one of the elite running backs in the league. So Aaron Rodgers coming to a team that's young, talented, and is hungry. And this is an organization that's been hungry for years to get into the playoffs. This is the longest drought in in the NFL right now. This is the 13th year in a row the New York Jets haven't made the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Uh, shout out to uh, Leaf Paluska, a new listener in the comment section. He says, Aaron Rodgers, let's go. Uh, Lyle says that yeah, Aaron Rodgers is going to have to get the season tickets up to get to the playoffs because uh, the Jets lost a lot by missing the playoffs last year. I don't think so. I don't think they lost a lot. And, and the Jets are going if, – if Aaron Rodgers comes to the New York Jets, the tickets are going to be shooting high up. Well, yeah, that, that, I think that's what, what his point was. Uh, uh, well, I don't know. You're, you're reading it. I'm just 
analyzing what he said. Yep. Uh, ben also says Rodgers to the Jets. He seems it seems to be pretty definitive. Uh, Snug, uh, no, not Snug. Uh, ben says Rodgers is constantly talking out of his ass. Well, he probably is. He might be again. Aaron Rodgers says half a lot of the of, time he's high. So yeah. <laughs> the ayahuasca or whatever. Jeff, he loves Jeff that always, stuff. Man. Jeff always loves to mention when, when he calls. But yeah, again, you're right. He definitely could be smoke screening. We've seen him do that before. Yeah, but and I, we we don't know if the Jets are smoke screening. Yep. But like you said, this is the most homegrown talent the Jets have had. So it's definitely enticing. Oh, it's 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 enticing uh, with Garrett Wilson, and you heard all the great things that he said about Garrett Wilson on the Pat McAfee show. He loves Brees Hall. He thinks he's an elite running back. He barely played this year, and he's an elite running back, he said. So, yeah, he has the opportunity to come to a team that has elite players, game-changing players. And he, he had those all those years with the Green Bay Packers. But I think the Green Bay Packers, they were weak in so many areas. The Jets going into next season, they might have to maybe cut Carl Lawson or cut uh, C.J. Mosley to bring in a guy like Aaron Rodgers where his contract needs to fit in to some of the cap that they have and they need to fill. And they have to obviously sign Quinn Williams. So they've got to figure out how this is going to work. Peter King said something very interesting in one of the articles he wrote the other day saying that the Jets could spread it out these two years. They can spread out the contract, the $58 million cap. They can spread it out for four years, even if he's not on the team. Give him $15 million this year, this coming year, and give him $32 million next year. And then even if he doesn't come back for the third or fourth year, they spread out you spread it out to $20 million to $19 million in the cap for the two years. Yes, it hurts their cap for those two years. But if it gives them a chance to win a Super Bowl, why not? When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we'll be talking to our friend, former Falcons, Titans, and Eagles safety, founder of Sneakerhead University, Antoine Harris, here on the Sports Loudouts. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. This is the Sports Loudmouths. We are back, ladies and gentlemen, as you know. This is the Sports Lineups. I'm your host, Daryl Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. 631-672-3108 is the number to call. You can check out our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Check out all the shows throughout the week live. We have a new show, ladies and gentlemen, Game On, every single Friday with Josh Silverberg. Uh, which airs at 7 p.m. Our show, The Sports Loudmouths, which airs every Wednesday at 7 p.m. and 9 p.m. on Thursday. And great guests, great content, funny, interesting craziness on the show. And one of the craziest, craziest guests we've had on the show before. A yeah. guy that I come to respect, a sneakerhead like yours truly. We are now talking to former Falcons, Titans, and Eagles safety founder of Sneakerhead University, Antoine Harris. Antoine, my friend, how are you? Not bad. How you doing, guys? You look good, man. I like that artwork behind you. It looks good. Oh, yeah. appreciate it. It's my, my Zen space right here. Yeah. It's my Zen space. Zen space. Like my, my Louisville 2013 uh, basketball championship hat. Got to represent for the college. Oh, I like that, man. I like it. I need to cop one, man. You need to send it to me. But uh, happy to have you on. We haven't spoken for a while, man. And I, I the last time we spoke... I, I, we were we were gonna switch, you know, you know. I, I guess we were gonna send each other numbers and and talk a little bit about, you know, seeing some of your sneaker collections, and I, we'll get into that a little bit in, in just a little while. Mm -hmm. How is how's your business doing right now? Uh, honestly, man, you know, I I 
I didn't take a break from sneakers because it's, you know, a part of my life. But as far as the business aspect, I haven't been pushing that as much as normal. I've been really spending a lot of time and putting a lot of time and energy into my family, mm-hmm. into my kids. They're both heavy into soccer right now. Um, this summer, went to Spain with my son, a soccer adventure, and it was really cool. And this is not something I'm used to as far as soccer goes. So uh, I tra- they haven't quite transitioned out of sneakers. I still am doing that you know, pretty much daily. I'm looking to make sure no sneaker that I need is coming out. But I've been spending a lot of time with the family. Well, that's great. And family comes first, as always. And you had that nice, long career as an NFL player. And now, I, you know, with everything in every business, you want to push it to the side. When it comes to family, you want to get, put family first. So before we get into uh, some of the different things that we've been doing since we last spoken to, um, how are you and your family doing uh, with the COVID-19 situation? Uh, you know, we are doing well. I have had COVID a couple times. Uh, the first time was worse than the the second. And, um, you know, I beat it. And it was, it was a, I'm not going to say it was a cold. It was, it was pretty bad. But I didn't get, you know, a lot of the things that a lot of other people got as far as, uh, you know, loss of taste and smell and, you know, heart palpitations and, couldn't breathe and things like that. I didn't, it didn't get that far for me at all. It was just a bad cold, you know, more so headaches and uh, body aches and things like that. But, you know, being a, a retired NFL guy, I've had body aches since I've retired pretty much when I played as well. Um, the rest of my family have been pretty well as, as far as COVID goes. My dad had COVID. He's older, but he beat it. He's good to go. And, uh, you know, since then, I think it's pretty much made everybody get closer. I think the whole COVID situation has made not only everybody realize they can work from home, but that you have to get closer with family because you just never know. We are talking to former Falcons, Titans, and Eagles safety and founder of Sneakerhead University, Antoine Harris. Antoine, we're actually going to uh, a nice event at the Prudential Center in New Jersey called Got Soul, these two kids that have been traveling around the country introducing different sneaker organizations to the world. 5,000 people are going to show up. They invited us to be uh, press, you know, press release guys to interview and, and, and write a story over there. I know somebody like you that's a sneakerhead would absolutely enjoy going to an event like that and checking out all the different crazy sneakers at an event like that. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm, I am, I'm in the sneaker community without quite totally being in the sneaker community. So I've caught wind of that show. I've been to multiple other shows. I think those things are really cool because it gives people who, uh, you know, are in the sneaker community a chance to actually meet each other and a reason to to get up and uh, congregate and just have a good time together. And like I said, to see each other face to face, because nowadays everything's on social media. Again, back to COVID situation, it's made people separate even more just because of not only feelings about vaccinated and unvaccinated, but more so just that everybody's kind of scared to get sick. And so it's gotten a lot better now, but, you know, for the most part, people have gotten used to being by themselves and staying alone or staying away and being able to communicate via social media and whatnot. So we've kind of lost touch with uh, the normal communication and seeing each other. I don't know if I'm going to make it to that one, but if you guys want to do anything like some sort of raffle or something, I can send y'all a shoe or two and y'all can do a raffle to get some more eyes over to y'all's table. Oh, you're the uh, man. Get them to help. You're the man. 
So are there any other projects that you were thinking of uh, doing? I know you said you didn't, uh, you didn't focus on it as much this year because you were, you were spending more time with your family, but is there any other projects that you had in mind within the company, either with sneakers or with anything else? Uh, you know, honestly, no. I've, it's, it's funny enough. I've said I've been pouring a lot into my kids, but I've spent a lot of time with uh, my son's soccer team, and I didn't realize how much the younger generation is really in, are really into sneakers like, like I am. And it kind of uh, bridges the gap between that that age as far as the kids go and then me as my quote unquote old self. Uh, <laughs> and, and we can have some good conversations. And, you know, I'm kind of the cool dad around around here because uh, I'm kind of a sneakerhead. So I've been kind of, you know, teaching the kids a little bit about sneakers and things like that uh, on my son's soccer team. But outside of that, I really haven't branched off too much in this sneakerhead university thing. I had it. uh unfortunate issue that I don't know how deep I want to go into it with with you guys but there was a, a good friend of mine who I decided to give a good bit of my collection to for him to start a store and then he uh basically sold the stuff and ran off with my money oh my god oh, damn. Some, uh, I've been dealing with that over the past year wow I'm sorry yeah. to hear that man I'm really yeah. sorry to hear that. it's all good man you know you live and you learn you hear these stories about uh former NFL guys getting done wrong by uh friends and things like that and you know this was a guy that i went to elementary school with middle school with played basketball together like it was uh you know it wasn't expected but you know it's definitely a lesson learned as everybody knows we are talking to ex-falcons titans and eagle safety founder of sneakerhead university antoine harris antoine the philadelphia eagles had a sensational year they've been one of the best teams in the nfl jalen hurts became a superstar. Everybody, because the Eagles have two first-round draft picks going into this offseason, they thought that Jalen Hurts, if he doesn't put up the numbers this year, he will be gone, and they're going to, to maybe make a move for C.J. Stroud or maybe a guy like Bryce Young, one of these guys. So what are your thoughts this year of the growth of Jalen Hurts? What made him so special this year? Well, listen, when you, when you look at his uh, total career so far, I mean, you could see that he has it in him. You see that he has it in him to be a champion. You see that he has the character. You see that he is a, I think, a guy that a lot of these college kids can look at and see that he fought through adversity. He made some some tough decisions, and then he still succeeded. You know, it wasn't one of these situations where he hit some adversity and then it was a guy like, oh, what happened to him? No, this is a guy who pushed through. He, he fought his way to the top since he kind of got, I guess, benched before. And it just made him it made him a beast. And he already had it in him. It just brought it out of him more. And I think that's a, a testament to his character and the type of guy he is. And, you know, when you see a guy like that as a former player, you respect that. And you respect somebody who goes out there, you see their their grind and how they got it, and you respect it a lot, and you can play with and for a guy like that. So I'm not surprised at all. So the Eagles against the against the Giants really dominated in a lot of phases of the game, and besides the quarterback play and Jalen Hurts, was there anything that impressed you about the Eagles on either side of the ball from maybe something that you weren't expecting either in that game or throughout the season? Um, I mean – you know, even though I didn't play a uh, full season with the Eagles, uh, I was on the team. And then when you got John Gannon back uh, over there at, on the defense, I mean, honestly, I feel like uh, 
I just have to go with them. So nothing really surprised me. I feel like they were going to win. I felt like they were good. I just wasn't surprised. I was, I was more impressed with the play of Jalen Hurts throughout the season. You know, it's so interesting when you, when you look at the corner position and, and how it's grown since you played. We, we, we were just speaking about Sauce Garner and the growth of these big corners that are just selfish but fantastic. They can go out there. They could do everything with their length, their ability to run, keep up with the players, jump as high as they can. Uh, it's fantastic. And then guys like Darius Slay, who's been in the game for such a long time, was a dominant force in Detroit, gets traded to Philadelphia's, Philadelphia's team, and then really has grown as a corner this year and become one of the elite corners again this year. Are you surprised that Darius Slay has become that elite corner that he was when he was with Detroit? You mean uh, Darius Slay Jr.? Yes. <laughs> there you go. It's a pedigree. He comes, he comes from a line of, I mean, his dad was a beast. So what do you expect? You know, he's, he's got the game early. His dad played in an era where he had to understand the game and they were playing against ball players who really understood the game. Granted, I think a lot of guys understand the game now, but athleticism has taken over a bit more than what it did before. And I think, uh, like I said, Darius Slade Jr. comes from a pedigree of, of understanding the game of football and how to play the, the position of corner. And so nothing really surprises me about him. It's it's him, Asante Samuel Jr. When you got guys like that who have fathers who have dominated the game per se, like you know, you, you shouldn't be surprised at anything they do that make them successful in the game. So an X factor for you now playing the 49ers that the Eagles have to do well in order for them to knock off the Niners and go to the Super Bowl. Yeah, it's it's not gonna be easy. Because the 49ers play with a swagger that's kind of unmatched. You know, Philly usually has some sort of like billboard material or some like city motivation behind them and whatnot. And, you know, I think that I think that they're just a good football team and they're going to play. 49ers have like a have a different kind of swagger. And so I'm excited to see uh, this game and what's going to happen. We are talking to former Falcons, Titans, and Eagles safety founder of Sneak Ahead University, uh, Antoine Harris. You look at the game, and, and we've seen some of these quarterbacks, these young quarterbacks that have grown over the last couple of years. We've seen some of the veteran quarterbacks that you played against, the Pannings, the Tom Brady's, Matt Ryan's. These guys are going to be moving out of the league, and then you have the new guys, Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow, and, and these guys, and Josh Allen. Are you surprised that the quarterback position has absolutely changed in the league? Now, it, it became a – it was at once a, um, a pocket-present quarterback, you know, type of quarterback that you're looking for, a pocket-present guy. And now you have a mobile quarterback that can move, throw the ball, move on the run. Are you surprised that the quarterback position is different and they are more athletic than they ever were? Um, no, I'm not at all. I know there was – there's – you know, it might not be the best thing to say, but there's some sort of uh, resistance, I feel like, in the NFL as far as trying to let the quarterbacks be more athletic. Um, but I'm not surprised at all. I mean, because I came from an era where, you know, Randall Cunningham, Warren Moon, uh, got a chance to thankfully play with Steve McNair um, and to be able to see that in person. Also got a chance to play with Mike Vick. Like, these are guys that have pretty much changed the game. You know, and I think it's added just it's only added another weapon. 
not only have these guys gotten more athletic, but these guys can sling the ball like like never before. I think some of the most athletic guys that can run and make plays, you see that they can throw the ball with the best of them. You know, you get a guy like Patrick Mahomes who he can get you a first down on his feet, but the way he can sling that ball is it's unreal, it's unmatched. Um and then obviously my my Louisville guy, Lamar Jackson. He's he's a beast and he's I hope he gets his money. You know, we talked last time uh with you guys about the money and how I felt about guys holding out and whatnot and you know Lamar deserves his money. As we can see, this game is dangerous. So these guys need to get paid for it. And, you know, when he's performing how he's performing, uh, you can just give him their money, just give him his money. He'll continue to perform and then enjoy it while it's here. That's the thing. Yeah, you mentioned the game being very dangerous and a very sad thing happening with DeMar Hamlin a couple of weeks ago, collapsing on the field in the Bills' Monday night game against the Bengals. And a lot of it was made of with the NFL, too, that uh, these these former players and even the current players don't get a lot of the benefits that a lot of the other leagues get. So uh, what is uh, what are your thoughts on that? And also, what would you would do to improve these these players' benefits as a whole? Um, hey, let's start. Let's start with giving these players – lifetime insurance um you know being a retired guy being a guy who's been out of the league for some years now things on my body have gotten worse and i I didn't think i would end up like this i didn't think that you know i would um at times have the mental state that i have but i'm learning through conversation through more knowledge through more information from uh resources contacting former players that you know, it's it's obviously it's from football. You know, when you play a game like that and you're making full speed car crashes, literally every play. I mean, you know, I was a special teams guy. This is when guys were holding hands in the in the wedge and standing in front of the kick returner. They catch the ball. I'm running down full speed. My job was not to make the tackle. You can look at my stats. I don't have a lot of tackles playing special teams. But what I did was a very valuable player on the special teams where I would come down and I would bust through one and two so somebody else can make a tackle. So I'm busting through two 330-pound guys holding hands, busting through them just to make the returner go somewhere else so someone else can make the tackle. You know, and when you when you do that repeatedly throughout a game, repeatedly throughout a season for multiple seasons, you're bound to have some life-changing injuries, right? And so as I'm multiple years out of the league now and things are starting to break down, I'm a candidate for a knee replacement on, knee replacement on my left knee, and it's like, you know, I thought I was fine. I thought this pain is just pain that I had to deal with. And I'm just used to dealing with it, being an athlete, being an NFL player, being a tough guy. Right. And, you know, come to find out now, these are things that I need to correct if I want to have a a, a decent life later on. And so I think lifetime and it's hard saying all that to say. I have to get insurance through my wife because we don't have NFL insurance. Which is unreal. You know, considering I played six years, I was a special teams guy most of my career fighting to make the roster every year. So I had to put my body on the line. There were no time to get injured. The injuries I did have were injuries where normal people can't come back. MCL tears, PCL tears, Liz Frank fractures, you know, serious injuries. And these things, you know, had put me down. It wasn't like a twisted ankle or, you know. Um, So I think lifetime insurance will be a great thing. I think um, just full transparency and what they're trying to do for the retired players would be a great thing. 
um, you know, we had a good career. They paid us well. Even me being a bottom of the roster guy, I feel like they paid me well for what I did. If I could go back and do it again, I would have tried to find a way to get more. It's not as accessible as it was when I played. Lifetime insurance would be a great start. And I think a lot of guys would feel like something will be accomplished if they can get that worked out. We do have the Retired Players Association that's trying to work on that, though, which is awesome. Antoine, a lot of different players, including Odell Beckham, came out the other day. Uh, actually, the last couple of weeks, but all over social media the other day, talking about uh, grass and turf, how it's affected him over the last couple of years. A lot of wide receivers with the tears uh, in their knees, uh, with the rotator cuff problems that some of these guys have had when they hit the turf. To me, they said grass is so much better for your knees, your ankles, and, and your legs than it is to play on turf. Are you surprised that the NFL over the last couple of years have tried to transition the fields into turf instead of keeping it to grass? Honestly, I I don't know the reasoning behind that because, you know, when I played, I feel like I liked back when I was in college, they had like the real turf, the turf that had like cement underneath, which was ridiculous. Uh I'm glad they got rid of that. Now, for me, being a kid from Ohio, like there's nothing like grass and you have like an open grass, a field. It's that smell that everything It's amazing. I felt like when I got to college that the, the, like the sports grass or whatever made me play faster. But over time I realized that it's just, it's really not good for your knees. There's no perfect sports turf that they can make. There's nothing like that natural grass. Uh, a lot of the sports turf it's either too long, you know, it's too many like the black pieces in there. So it's a little too cushy or, um, you know, it just it it doesn't some do, it doesn't have enough give. And so that's how guys get hurt as well. Um, I was the injuries I had. Two of them were on the sports turf and then one was in regular grass. And so, you know, the numbers show that that turf kind of heightens the injuries. So. I understand maybe from the way it looks on camera, the way the maintenance, maybe, I don't know. Like, I don't know the details of it, but uh, for me, there's nothing like regular grass. And if you see guys getting hurt, once your big name guys start getting hurt enough, you'll change it. Hmm. So a a playoff game that you were a part of with any of the teams that you played for that, what was your favorite moment in any of those playoff games? Uh, the one playoff game that I was a part of, I was actually hurt. It was towards the end of the season. Wow. I got hurt, um, so I wasn't able to play. So I really don't have a, a good playoff moment. Was it Atlanta when you were in Atlanta? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I don't really have a, a good playoff moment. The best part of you is you're a sneakerhead like me, and we really appreciate everything, Antoine. I, I hope everything is going well with you and your family. I'm sorry to hear about your friend and – and what he did, but uh, I want to stay in touch with you. I know I keep saying that, but I'm definitely going to stay in touch with you. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about sneakers. I just bought a couple of new uh, Jordan 1s recently. Oh, yeah? yeah which ones one did you get? You know? Uh, um, I got the new one. I, I don't know exactly which one it is. I, I wish I had okay. it. I should have. I should have actually used it so I could show it to you. Yeah, you should have had them with you so yeah, you could just pull them up. I think you'll love them, and you're probably going to want to buy them. So. <laughs> Maybe. If they're size 11, I'll, I'll probably hit you up about them. Absolutely. I'm going to I'm gonna send you a couple of pictures. Uh, Speedy has your uh, your number. I'm going to send you a couple of pictures. But I, I bought, like I think, three pairs of uh, 
new Jordan ones, uh, fantastic. And I'm looking at the Dior ones. Did you ever see the Dior ones? Oh no, fancy. Oh yeah, man. But they're, fancy. They're like eight, nine thousand dollars, man. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't, I don't have that. I, I definitely don't have that one. Um, if if I get a chance to grab it for a, a discounted price, maybe. But That's I don't think I, I can. I can do eight, nine thousand for a shoe. I do have a couple shoes worth around that much, but. Uh, I don't think I would pay that for a shoe. I don't think I, I don't think I'd pay that that for a shoe either. But I actually have a connection, which I, I'll give it. I'll give it to you uh, when we're off air on on people that actually sell legit sneakers for half price. So if it is oh, wow. if it's eight thousand dollars, they probably can get it for like thirty five hundred, thirty six hundred. Yeah. So uh, we'll definitely speak. We'll definitely speak, man. I really appreciate your time, man. Uh, keep up the good work. We'll be. Reaching out to you soon, man. We'll get you on again, my friend. For sure. Maybe next time I'll have some shoes with me, and then I can, uh, you know, entice entice you guys into to becoming more sneakerheads. I am a sneakerhead. If I showed you pictures of my sneaker collection, you'd probably throw up too. So I'm a sneakerhead. No, I'll, I'll probably clap. I'll probably clap. <laughs> <laughs> but we really appreciate well, yeah, man. Uh, prayers, prayers to Demar Hamlin and Absolutely. his family. Yeah. And, you know, my wife saw me get hurt when I was in Philly, actually, when I had my Liz Frank fracture. She saw me uh, get helped off the field and then get put on the cart and taken to the locker room. And she saw me when I was going through the tunnel. And so she she's like terrified anytime she sees somebody get hurt. I'm glad he's uh, up and walking and I'm glad he's he's doing all right. And like I said, prayers to him. And I think that's a win for everybody, even though people are out of the playoffs and all that. And we're worried about the Super Bowl and like you know, big things. But, you know, in real life, we all kind of realize that football is a dangerous sport. Again, these guys need to get guaranteed contracts. These guys need lifetime insurance. But I love the game. I love the league. Uh, I appreciate you guys. And like I said, shout out to DeMar Hamlin and all his people. Antoine Harris, ladies and gentlemen, fantastic guy. As everybody knows, uh, a sneakerhead like me, uh, a guy that likes to collect sneakers and had a really good NFL career, six years in the NFL. If you play six years in the NFL, an average NFL player only plays three years. Three years. Yeah. Antoine played six, so that's double the amount. So as a special teams guy, so it's a fantastic uh, – he's a fantastic guy and a great story. Uh, as everybody knows, play for the Falcons, the Titans, and the Eagles. Thank you, Antoine. Thank you, guys. Have a good one, man. Antoine Harris. So there you go, Speedy. I haven't, mm-hmm. We haven't spoke to Antoine for a while, and uh, – it, what's great about Antoine is is he's straightforward. He's he's from the he, he shoots from the hip, and uh, even the last time that we had him on a show, he he tells his stories and and he's straightforward. He doesn't he doesn't hide behind anything that he says. And he's a sneaker guy, and uh, that's a sad that's a sad situation that he was in. Yeah, uh, you right. have a, you have a friend. You grew up since elementary school. You give them a bunch of sneakers. They open up a, a store, and, and the guy runs off with his money. It's absolutely horrendous. It's a yeah. terrible thing. It, it's a terrible thing. But it, I'm not surprised. Uh, somebody ran off with my money th- mm. in the beginning of the year. I, I, I don't want to speak on, on live air about it, but I lost a ton of money this year because of a mistake. And it has a lot to do with Bitcoin and, and the crypto world. And you know you can't trust anybody in Coinbase. And somebody went into my Coinbase and stole my money. Wow. So, it's horrible. It's it's horrible when you trust somebody, and you 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 trust in the person because you've been friends for such a long time, or your family, and then they backstab you. That's it's happened to me before, not only with friendships but family. So, when it comes to money, you can't trust anybody. 
You can't trust anybody. But Antoine's a good guy. I, I have nothing but the utmost respect for him. I, I was happy that you got him on when you told me that he was going to come back on again. And every time we speak to Antoine, I always say, Antoine, we got to swap numbers. we got to talk. And, and I never get a chance to, 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 to get a conversation, have a conversation with him off air. But I am going to reach out to Antoine uh, Harris and, and talk a little sneakers with we'll him. We'll have to take some pictures at the, the event, too. We'll oh, start, absolutely. We'll send them to him, so. Absolutely. <laughs> what I'm going to do at the event, because uh, obviously I'm going to write a story over there, and we're going to be doing a lot of interviews with a lot of these uh, sneakerheads. Um, Bobby Schmurter is going to be there. Uh, the rapper from here from New York, he's going to be representing over there, doing a little bit of... You know, a little bit of his uh, his hit songs over there, and uh, he's he's like the face of uh, New York's uh, Got Soul event. And and these kids, these guys are fantastic. Both of them reached out to me. They asked me, could we come over there and and do some interviews and 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 help out uh, with the promotion of uh, Got Soul here in New York. And I told them, send me press passes, bro. Bro, and I'll come out there and I'll do whatever you need me to do uh, to promote it as mu- as best as I can. So uh, I'm looking forward to, to going out there at the Prudential Center in New Jersey on Saturday at 12 o'clock and sporting my uh, my new Jordan ones. So uh, I'm going to wear one of my Jordan ones. And I, I I guarantee you, somebody is going to have those sneakers on. Somebody at the event. There's 5,000 people that are going to be there. 5,000 wow. sneakerheads. Speedy, so get ready for craziness. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a lot of sneakers. That's a lot of uh, well, different designs, I would imagine. And, and I know I know Antoine, uh, he went with the painting background this time. I remember I the last it. time we had him on. I we, love it. He had that whole like uh, shelf tower thing. <laughs> and all Antoine, those. Antoine's got soul, baby. Yeah, he's see. got soul. Yeah, he, he's an art guy. He's a sneakerhead. He's everything, man. And, and I, lo- I love the guy. We've interviewed so many ex-NFL players. A lot of fantastic ones, too. And Antoine always sticks out to me because the guy is he, – he's, he's not only personality-wise, he drives you to want to speak about, you know, all the things that he has done in his career, but just who he is as a person and his father. So uh, Antoine Harris, ladies and gentlemen. Dan Quinn says he is going to stay with the Cowboys. And I, I will tell you guys this, all right? The Cowboys keeping Dan Quinn is an A+. Plus. Because this defense, over the last two years, has been one of the elite defenses in the NFL. Uh, in the last, uh, by the way, yes, Carl, Bobby Schmurder, yes, mumble rap. Yeah, but hey, guess what? Bobby Schmurder has two platinum hits. But nevertheless, um, Dan Quinn has, has been one of the more likable defensive coordinators in the NFL. Uh, a guy that was the defensive and defensive coordinator for Seattle's Super Bowl championship and also took the Atlanta Falcons all the way to the Super Bowl to give up one of the greatest, biggest leads in NFL history against the New England Patriots and bomb out in uh, Super Bowl, what was it, Super Bowl? 50, 51. 51, yeah. right? 28-3 to lead they had late in the third quarter and they just couldn't hold it. But Dan Quinn has been one of the best defensive coordinators in the NFL over the last, uh, you know, eight years, nine years. And he came to the Cowboys about two and a half years ago and a, a defense that really needed to be rebuilt. Uh, they added Micah Parsons and ever since they added Micah Parsons, uh, Lawrence has played better. This team has played uh, really fantastic. They, uh, to me, even though at the end of the season they were ranked 13th in all in all defense defensive yards, this team 
all season, in the first half of the season, in the first eight, nine games, was a, a top two, top three defense. Right. They could get at you in so many different ways. Micah Parsons, Lawrence, Vander Esch, these guys can do it. And they had Diggs, who was one of the more underrated corners in the NFL. So uh, hearing that Dan Quinn is coming back next year, I, I think if you're a Cowboy fan, you should be excited. Uh, I, he did interview for some of the jobs that were available. Yeah, Arizona was the closest to getting him, apparently. But he they, interviewed last year, and yeah. I thought he was going to get a the job. The Broncos' last year. job it seemed inevitable he was going to get. I'm sure they wish they they actually did. Yeah, uh-huh. but uh, you know, uh, the Broncos are still looking for a coach, so I'm interested to see where the Broncos go. I heard Jim Harbaugh at one point was the lead guy to get the job. Uh, obviously, that fell through, um, and it doesn't look like uh, Peyton's Sean Payton's going to take a job. Uh, no. This offseason, he's going mm-hmm. to wait until next offseason. But uh, maybe the Cowboys' job, if it becomes available yeah, after Mike McCarthy, right. uh, they decide to part ways with Mike McCarthy. If they don't get into an NFC title game or uh, put up the numbers that they think they should put up with as a team, the Cowboys, I think Mike McCarthy is on the hot seat going into next year. But, um, yeah, Dan Quinn stays with the Dallas Cowboys. I think it's a good move for Dallas. I, I do. But, I, to me, Dallas needs to do something offensively. In the offseason. Yeah. They need to decide what they're doing to Zeke Elliott. Honestly, I would (coughs) drop Zeke. I don't know how bad the cap is going to be with Ezekiel Elliott on the cap. Yeah, it's a lot of money. They're trying to get a pay cut to at least half of it, but it's going to be very hard to do that as it is. So, And they have to decide what they're doing with Pollard. Pollard's a free agent right, his offseason. Yeah. And he's going to get a lot of money. I don't know about a lot of money. What he's going to at least get double digits, though, I would say. He's probably going to get similar to Aaron Jones, I think. You think he's going to get $12 million? Uh, 10 I think he's going to get about 10 I'm thinking. No way. That seems to be the market value right now. No way. There's no way. Uh, before we go to break, because our second guest has arrived, uh, Carl says, 26 other teams have made a conference championship last time the Cowboys were in one. Yes, they're one of the only three NFC teams. I mentioned the fact yesterday, Carl, that have not made an NFC championship game in the 21st century. When we come back, we'll be talking to former Cowboys, Broncos, and Jaguars defensive end and founder of Mr. Mintz Production, Jeremy Mincy, here on the Sports Lab Mouths. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. This is the Sports Loudmouths. We are back, ladies and gentlemen, as you know. This is the Sports Loudmouths. I'm your host, Daryl Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. 631-672-3108 is the number to call. And remember, you can go to our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Check out all our shows throughout the country, ladies and gentlemen. Our show, The Sports Loudmouth, which airs every Wednesdays and Thursdays. Wednesdays at 7 p.m. and Thursdays at 9 p.m. Check out all the different interviews that we have, all the different content that we have, and fantastic personalities, as always. Uh, Speedy likes to wear his underwear on his head. I do not. So at least you have somebody that doesn't like and doesn't enjoy doing that. And now, ladies and gentlemen, our second guest of the show. We are now talking to former Cowboys, Broncos, and Jaguars defensive end and founder of Mr. Mintz Production, Jeremy Mincy. Jeremy, what's up, man? How y'all guys doing today? We're good, man. I, I mean, obviously, you look better. I mean, with your production <laughs> company, ex-NFL player. I mean, who's better than you, Mike? Love the shades. I'm just trying, man. I'm trying. It's like a $20 pair of shades from the gas station, Okay. Absolutely, man. <laughs> you know what? I, I, if I actually looked as good as you with shades on on, on a live radio show, I'd be wearing shades too, man. I mean, I'm, I'm just not that. I'm not that hip like you, man. I'm just not that hip. 
Thanks, man. Thanks. You know, I'm trying, you know, I'm trying to keep it, you know, rocking. As the <laughs> young guys <there. laughs> How are you and your family doing with COVID nineteen? Oh man, we're doing we're doing great, man. Um, uh, we're doing great. I I had it twice. Uh, survived. Thank God. My wife and kids, but unfortunately, I lost my sister. I'm oh, sorry uh, to hear that. From COVID nineteen, my wife also lost her uh, best friend to COVID nineteen. So it's it definitely uh, it was definitely a bummer, man. That was, was COVID something serious. Well, I'm sorry to hear that about, about your that. sister, man. It, it, nobody wishes that upon anybody. I know so many people that lost family members uh, from COVID-19, and uh, it, it's sad. It's sad. But uh, I'm happy that you and your family are doing better and uh, hopefully moving on. I, but uh, it's sad. I, I'm, may she rest in peace, my friend. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. As everybody knows, we are talking to former Cowboys, Broncos, Jaguars, defensive end and founder of Mr. Mintz Production, Jeremy Mincy. Mr. Mintz, how did you really decide to build a production company? Are you a movie guru or are you a movie head? What made you decide to uh, structure a production company after your football career? Well, I had a, uh, I was in the music business for a while. I actually started uh in my earlier teens, um, with my cousin Fat Boy, who uh, produced it, produced uh, "Wasted" for Gucci Man, and I kind of stayed in the music realm. And then when I got to the University of Florida, uh, me and uh, multi platinum artist J Dash, who created WAP, uh, we, you know, we we created a lot of music, and I, I did a lot of pre production and writing and things of, uh, of that nature. And so I had an extensive music catalog. Uh, throughout my football time, and uh, I just was like, you know, if I could take all this music I have and this huge catalog I got, I could start writing movies and things of that nature. So I started, you know, buying cameras and studying the business, studying the art of cinematography, and uh, it's been great since, man. So what was the uh, the first project that you ended up doing, and do you have a particular favorite project of yours that you've done since you've started? Well, uh, my first feature film is called 13th and pine i just released that this year uh well in 2022 late 2022 um and it's getting a lot of great reviews a lot of people buying it give me a lot of great feedback so it's exciting to have something like that out there and um and also it has a great message behind it um it, it really talks a lot about you know how uh how important a father is in a child's life so you know i also wanted to put a message out there with the things I produce. You always like to do that in, in music, in movies, everything that you watch, from drama to action, there's always a message from one part to the movie to the next. So you always want to find that message and, and ride it. So I, we really appreciate that. We are talking to former Cowboys, Broncos, and Jaguars defensive end and founder of Mr. Mintz Production, Jeremy Mincy. When you look at the, the hip-hop game, and the hip-hop game has been really transitioned from Biggie Smalls and Big L and Big Pun and Tupac Shakur to now you got guys like Lloyd Banks and, and uh, Little Wayne and Drake and all the different guys. What were your thoughts to the transition of the different hip hop, you know, hip hop music from from the '90s to today? What do you think the transition was from then to now? I mean, I think along the way, like uh, it seems like the deeper we get into the technology era, is the feel of 
the human soul is kind of slipping away. Because if you go listen to Marvin Gaye right now, or or even Journey, <laughs> like anything that had that feel of that soul, uh, it has to be regurgitated or uh, sampled to get it back. So we have to find a different, innovative way to recreate where the state of music is, because we went from artists with completely different ideologies, uh, sounds, spirits to a lot of artists sounding similar. And in order to get a hit, they have to take something from back then to now. So we got some work to do, you know, uh, recreating a, a, a new sound and a new wave of music. So who are some of the artists that you were influenced by growing up, uh, getting yourself into the music game? Oh, man, I, I listened to a little bit of everything, man. You know, uh, I was a huge Tupac fan. So was I. And uh, <laughs> a huge Most Def fan, um, Outkast, Goody Mob, um, uh, you know, a lot of West Coast music, uh, Snoop and Dre, and definitely a lot of East Coast music because, you know, I was a huge fan of Wu-Tang Clan, you know, Big L. Tribe Called Quest was one of my oh, favorite yes. groups. Yes. So, you know, I've been influenced by a lot of it. Big Daddy Kane, most importantly, can't leave out Big Daddy Kane. No. But I remember, you know, the 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 the, the organic feel that the music had. And, uh, that's why I worked work through film and uh, to kind of make the music and film go hand in hand because great music makes a good movie or a great movie, you know, as Tarantino would say. And that's why Tarantino has so many hit films because of the the music he would choose to set the mood of the movie. As everybody knows, we are talking again. Former Cowboys, Broncos, and Jaguars defensive end and founder of Mr. Mincy, Mr. Mintz Production, Jeremy Mincy. Jeremy, uh, you were drafted by the New England Patriots sixth round in 2006. What was it like being drafted first? And second of all, what was it like being drafted by Bill Belichick? Oh, man. It, it was awesome. It was a it was a wonderful experience. You know, uh, it was a, definitely a learning curve for me um, as a player. I, I never played special teams. There was a lot of things that I didn't do. So I didn't I didn't uh, understand the fundamentals of how to make a professional uh, team. So I took a lot of things for granted. But had I been there with Bill, man, I no telling what type of player I would have been. You know, uh, <laughs> Bill was a great mentor. And believe it or not, man, uh, he cares, man. I remember my my dad was uh, recovering from drugs, and I remember coming home from um, from New England to Atlanta, and my dad was like, spoke with Bill Belichick for about two hours, and I'm looking at him like, please. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So I get back to New England, and Bill just wanted to sit down and have a meeting with me, and we sat and spoke, and he asked me about my dad and told me they had a great conversation, a good long conversation, and that's so – I learned to never underestimate anybody, my father or Bill. So uh, that was a, 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 a great teachable moment in my life to, uh, to humble myself and, uh, and stay focused. But Bill was awesome, man. It was like a concentration camp. And, you know, it's not for everybody. <laughs> but uh, I, I, I definitely don't question his coaching technique. 
So 2007, you played with a, a Jaguars team that was very good, uh, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Jack Del Rio, that defensive line, John Henderson, Marcus Stroud, probably the best defensive tackle duo that I've seen in my lifetime. Uh, so what was that whole season like? And also the, uh, the 2007 playoffs, you guys beat the Steelers in the playoffs. David Garrard did that miracle uh, t- fourth down run to set up the game winning field goal. So uh, what was that all that whole season like in your experience with the Jags? Oh my gosh, it, it was amazing, man. It was it was amazing. Uh, I had actually blew my calf muscle out during training camp, so I got cut and put on practice squad. And I worked my way up uh, during the season to uh, get on that team, um, and the chemistry was amazing. You know, uh, not only Big John Henderson and Marcus Stroud, you had crazy Reggie Hayward, <laughs> Mike Peterson, you know, Sammy Knight. Machine matches. It was a lot. We had a lot of talent on on, on the defense. Most importantly, we had that swag, and um, I think that's what intimidated a lot of teams: our camaraderie and uh, and our love for each other. And uh, just didn't take no mess. We was that type of team. And uh, thank God I got to witness it. I wish we could have took it a little farther, but you know it was an awesome run. We are talking to former Cowboys, Broncos, and Jaguars defensive end and founder of Mr. Mint's production, Jeremy Mincy. Jeremy, the game has transitioned. It's different. Uh, obviously, that when you played, you were drafted in 2006, and now uh, you played against quarterbacks like uh, you know some of the greats, Tom Brady and uh, Peyton Manning and, um, uh, I guess you could say, Ro- I guess, Drew Brees. Drew Brees. Hold on, hold on. Ben Roethlisberger. Yeah, you played some some of the greatest quarterbacks of this era and maybe some of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. But now you look at the quarterbacks now, the Joe Burrow or the Josh Allen or Justin Herbert. What is the difference that you remember of the quarterbacks you played in that time to the quarterbacks now that you watch on TV? I mean, it's just the skill. I mean, people, football is so, you know, uh, so huge nowadays that people are analyzing every technical aspect of it, you know. Um, and it's like kids are getting a jump on on things at an early age. You know, they're learning how to read cover, coverages and they're learning all the stuff, you know, third, fourth, or fifth grade. So by the time they hit their junior in high school, they can, you know, break down defenses. and It's just the knowledge of it. It's just the evolution of it, honestly. So in terms of the in terms of the Broncos you ended up going to, you got to, went to a Super Bowl that year. You got to play with Peyton Manning. You got to play alongside one of the best pass rushers of this era, DeMarcus Ware. So uh, what was that whole experience like going to Denver? I know you guys lost in the Super Bowl, obviously, but adjusting to the altitude, what was that all like? I mean, it was, it was amazing. And actually that year uh, – Marcus Ware was actually with Dallas. Oh, okay. And, My bad. <laughs> yeah, that that year he was, and uh, that's when Dallas made the switch. Uh, well, Denver didn't offer me the contract that I thought I deserved, and Dallas did, and uh, I ended up going to Dallas, and Marcus ended up in Denver. But that season was special, you know. Um, the great thing about that season to me was uh, not to say this in a bad way, but it was Vaughn Miller getting hurt and allowing. You know, me to show my talents as a player, and it kind of opened up different gates down the line. Um, but the Broncos organization was great, uh, playing under a coach I had played for early in my career. Um, he understood me. Uh, uh, Terrence Knighton. There was a lot of guys I knew from my class on that team, so the chemistry, it was easy to get along with them. 
you look at the game now, and obviously you have four good teams going to the AFC and NFC title game. Uh, you watched the Cowboys get knocked out last week about against the San Francisco 49ers and Brock Purdy, who I don't think is a top quarterback. But again, he he did what he needed to do to get to the, the NFC title game. Going into this game with the Eagles in San Francisco, what stands out between both teams and who do you think has the advantage going into the NFC title game on Sunday? I think this is going to be a huge toss-up because it's the it's the high-powered uh, quarterback versus the high-powered defense, and then you got a a pretty good uh, a delivery boy in in Purdy on offense and uh, a seasoned uh, uh, instinctive Philly defense. So it's gonna be it's definitely gonna be a. But I really feel like Philly's gonna pull this one off. Um, it's just that they've gotten so used to winning that it's just becoming a. Th- a thing to them, man. <laughs> so <laughs> I think I, I think I think you know the Eagles are gonna walk away with this. So there's a lot of great pass rushers in the league today. Nick Bosa, Micah Parsons, TJ Watt. Uh yeah. is there anyone that stands out to you the most of that bunch? Micah, man. Micah Parsons is amazing. <laughs> Dude, you gotta watch him. He's like Vaughn Miller times two. Like mm. his balance and the strength in his hips is is amazing. It's just flat out amazing. I mean, the things that guy can do on a consistent basis, it, it will make any it will make any left tackle or right tackle a nightmare that day. <laughs> Game day, I'm telling you, that guy's special. Oh, especially what he did on Sunday. I don't know if anybody saw what he did to the right tackle. He he practically underarmed him and tossed him. You're talking about a 300-pound tackle, and, and Micah Parsons is like 230 pounds. He runs he, – he outran Tyreek Hill in a race, and he just threw – he did a Reggie Wayne – I mean, sorry, Reggie White, you know – move and just threw him and, and and hit Brock Purdy. It was unbelievable. It was so special. And that shows you how special he really is. Micah Parson is, is, is one of the best pass rushers in the NFL. Very, I, I think even though he didn't have the season he had in his rookie season, he, he's still very underrated on how, what he could do on the field. You, you could put him at, at the linebacker position, position on the outside linebacker position, the defensive end. You could move him all over the field and this guy could do everything. You could probably play him at corner and he can outrun a tight end or outrun a corner, I mean, a wide receiver. So uh, we've seen Micah Parsons do so many special things. So fantastic. He's a fantastic talent. As everybody knows, we are talking to former Cowboys, Broncos, and Jaguars defensive end and founder of Mr. Mintz Production, Jeremy Mincy. Then you look at the other the other game going into the AFC title game, Joe Burrow, where everybody uh, were taking shots um, at the Bengals, especially uh, with this uh, – this game that could have played in Atlanta, uh, Buffalo. If Buffalo won, they would meet Kansas City in Atlanta. But the Bengals had something to say about it, as you heard. Um, their coach says something, and then obviously Joe Burrow says, uh, you know, you might as well uh, send those tickets back at the end of the game. Um, going into this game, Kansas City, my uh, uh, Mahomes is not 100% healthy. His high ankle sprain, you know all about that high ankle sprain. You don't real as a quarterback, you got to plant your back foot. It is on his back foot. And uh Joe Burrow who has a lot of confidence going into this game, he is 3 and 0 in his last 3 games against Kansas City. He has beaten he's beaten them in Arrowhead twice. So, what are your thoughts going into the AFC title game, Kansas City 
versus the Bengals? Honestly, I want the Bengals to win it all. <laughs> but um, like you said, I mean, Patrick Mahomes, he's banged up. And Joe Burrow's hungry, and he's used to defeating you guys. So at some point in the game, it's going to be the pressure's on Kansas City because <laughs> he's beat them multiple times. So he feels like he could go in there and do that at any moment. So Kansas City going to have to uh, step it up. I mean, and you got this smoking hot team uh, in the Bengals, man. And don't let's not forget they just lost last year, correct? Yes. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, so they got something to prove, and uh, and we'll see how the cards fall with this one. But I, I, I got my money on the Bengals. So Andy Reid, you played against him uh, when he first got to Kansas City. You played against him a couple of years in Denver when you were there. So what was his offense, his innovative offense, like having to face as a defensive lineman? Well, you know, his philosophies changed over the years. Uh, Andy Reid used to be a run-first uh, guy. But, you know, with a guy like Patrick Mahomes, you could kind of let him operate. Um, and the Bengals' defensive line has been doing a really good job of disrupting and I don't know. I think they're licking their chops this week for Andy Reid and whatever he's running with with the quarterback because that ankle is not going to heal no time soon. Well, that that's a high ankle sprain. You everybody knows how bad that ankle. And he he couldn't even walk off the field in the second quarter. He he walked. He practically limped off the field. I, I'm sure they gave him a couple of quarter zone shots. He went back out there. Uh, he, the one thing I can give Patrick Mahomes credit for is he didn't quit. He went out there. He gave it his all, and he found a way to win the game no matter what happened. And he couldn't throw. He couldn't run. But he, he did what he can to, to help his team. And, and this week, uh, it's going to be a little bit harder of an opponent. This team will get at you on the edges. And they put a lot of pressure inside, too. So, uh, Patrick Mahomes could be running for dear life. This offensive line is going to have to protect him and make sure that he can stand and make every single throw in in a safe spot so he doesn't get hurt because you need him. If you do win this game, you still need him for the Super Bowl if you have to play San Francisco or the Eagles, two giant, dangerous defenses. So Patrick Mahomes has his work cut off, cut out for him. So um, when you look at the game, and, and Speedy was mentioning some of the great defensive linemen in the game. Was there a particular defensive lineman that when you played, you were just like at all watching him? Oh, so many, man. Uh, Julius Peppers, he was just he, – he, uh, for a man to be as tall as he was, he could get as low as anybody on the field. Like, he was definitely special, uh, different, uh, a different type of athlete. And, uh, and I would say uh, my man Dwight Freeney, dude, mm. like, he was just unblockable. He he just went out there and did whatever he wanted to do. So, you know, and Robert Mathis, you know, I can name the list can go on and on. And the funny thing about it, we all learn from each other's game, even though we all play the game completely differently. You know, me, I was a power, more of a power rusher. But man, when I when I get a hold of the right type of tackle, I make him look bad. So, <laughs> but. But that you know, you just got to learn how to play to your strength, and um, and learn from those guys who are gifted, but it's still a skill set that they show. Like I learned how to really rush from watching Freeney, man. He 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 was like 
when he come off the ball, it's like pitching a fastball. <laughs> as soon as it gets to the bases, shoot, curves, that's sack. You know, it was the same thing. He made everything look the same every play. And, you know, it's an art to rushing. He definitely was a master of it. So I want to go to the reverse, uh, the offensive line. Who is the toughest offensive line for a team that you had to face in your career and also the hardest team offense that you faced? I say, man, as far as, as far as just pure technique and skill, uh, I say Joe Thomas, man, mm. and uh, and and heart and just will. Uh, I'd say Trent, uh, Big Trent, you know. Uh, but between those two guys, man, they don't get too much better than that. But Joe, Joe was definitely just different. It was a game where I rocked him so hard, right, and he bent over backwards, and I tried to overpower him. This guy did a split to hold his block. <laughs> Dude, like, no, he did literally, y'all, he did a full split. Wow. And I, I I don't know how he didn't tear his groin. I don't know. Like, it was, I was like, yo, I've never seen that before. <laughs> the dude, was he, he, he definitely was a wizard with, with, with his technique. So, you know, Joe had to be one of the best. You have to look at the shape that he's in right now. It's unbelievable. I mean, that guy has been on, on muscle, you know, the magazine. I mean, that guy is built like a rock. He was like 300 pounds when he played as an offensive lineman for Cleveland. And now the guy is like 190 pounds and he's like, he's cut to a brim. I mean, have you seen Joe Thomas? No, I haven't. Oh my God. Go, go look at the pictures that they posed to his images, man. He is in unbelievable shape. That guy is a beast. He really is. So if you're telling me he's doing splits at 300 pounds, I mean, go look at what he looks like now. I mean, the guy is cut. He's in unbelievable shape. He's almost 40 years old, and the guy's in a tremendous amount of shape. I'm telling you, he's in better shape than 20-year-olds. That's how that's the shape that he's in. So um, it's unbelievable. It really is. And and you telling me a story, telling us a story that he was doing a split, I'm not surprised the athletic ability that guy has. I'm not surprised whatsoever. Like I said, we are talking to former Cowboys, Broncos, and Jaguars defensive end and founder of Mr. Mint's production, Jeremy Mincy. Last question for me. You have been on the you were on the field for quite a couple of years. What quarterback just when you stepped on the field, you were just absolutely like, I got to play him today. I mean, what quarterback just scared you every time you stepped on the field? Uh, none, really. I'm, I'm just being honest. <laughs> I'm just being honest. You know, it's up to us to pump the fear in the quarterback. But I would say uh, the guy you knew was going to bring it, you was going to have to come and play a perfect game to beat with Tom Brady. Mm-hmm. You know, it. He, he, he just was the ultimate competitor, man. Like, the ultimate competitor in I made sure I sacked him every chance I got. So. <laughs> How many I times did you sack him? Times, but a few times. I probably sacked Brady. Let's see, Jacksonville. Let's see. Maybe four times. All right. Okay. You've had, in your career, you had 26 sacks. So four out of your 26 was Tom Brady. That's not bad, man. That's not bad yeah, at all. Man. You forget that I had resentment towards New England for cutting me as a rookie. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so that was a different type of motivation for that game. I love time. it. I love it. <laughs> so my last question, uh, 
I know uh, before I mentioned that, uh, shout out to your family. I know you said you couldn't come on last week because you were you had a family emergency. So wishing them all the best. Oh, but, absolutely. Um, but also, um, uh, this year we had a very a very uh, tragic loss as well. A guy that you played with in your career when you were with Jacksonville, a guy we had on the show three months ago, Uche Winery, uh, mm-hmm. passing away very sadly. Thirty eight. Good years guy old. too. Fantastic guy. Yeah. Uh, he was getting into his video games, his YouTube, and was a great guy on and off the field. So, uh, what was he like as a teammate on and off the field? Dude, Uche was fun, man. Uche was a good dude, man. I, I would, he was one of my main guys. I would hang out with him uh, and Vince Manawai. He's passed away as well. So, mm. uh, oh, wow. <laughs> that just brought back memories. But Uche was definitely, he was a light in the room. Uche was, Uche was Uche, man. Like, Uche loved to party. Uche loved to play pool. Uche loved to have fun. You know, he was just a up-tempo, upbeat type of guy. Well, Good we, man, too. Very smart. Very smart. Intelligent brother. Yeah, well, you're an intelligent guy. You have your production company. Keep up the good work. Oh, we definitely want to get you on again. You're, uh, you, you have some soul. You have your glasses on. You're, you're rocking it, man. So keep up the good work, man. We really appreciate it all the time. And uh, watch the Super Bowl. Watch the AFC and NFC title game. Because, uh, you know, I might have to hit you up on social media and, and see where, uh, where your, uh, your picks really went. You, you got the Bengals. <laughs> You got the Bengals yeah. and you got Philadelphia, right? Is that who you have? Mm-hmm. All right. So, yeah. by the way, I'm I'm just letting you know we might have the same picks going into the Super Bowl. Uh, that, All right. That, that could be a <laughs> that could be a real fun Super Bowl. Yeah, Joe Burrow versus Jalen Hurts, and and those defenses that'll be fun. That will really be fun. All right, Jeremy, I'm with you. I'm, I'm rooting for the Bengals too. If that ends up happening against the Eagles, I know you play for the Cowboys, so I know you can't stand the Eagles. Who wants I, to see? And Pat- I'm a Giants fan, so I can't stand the Eagles. Either. Who wants to see Patrick Mahomes in a Super Bowl again? I don't want to see that again. I'm tired of it. I don't. I'm tired yeah, of I it. Don't. I'm tired. Even though Joe Burrow's going to, if he goes to back-to-back Super Bowls, let him win a Super Bowl, and then we don't have to see the Bengals in the Super Bowl anymore either. I don't right, want to see. Yeah. Years. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> well, the last time, the last time they won, I don't remember the last time no, they the, won. The Bengals never won in their franchise. <laughs> That's they why lost, I said it. They lost twice to the 49ers and they lost last year to the Rams. I remember. I remember before last year, the last time they were in a Super Bowl was in the what was it nineties? Nineteen eighty eight. I'm sorry, it was Boomer Esiason. Yep. And I remember that game too. I was a kid too. I was like seven years old or six years old. So were you. So were you. So uh, it was a long time, but uh, uh, keep up the good work, my my friend, and, and we'll get you on very, very soon. All right, man. Thank you all for having me, man. I enjoyed it. Well, again, rest in peace to your sister. And, uh, again, to anybody that's uh, last week uh, that you can come on, hopefully everything's going uh, going good with your family now. Yeah, man. We'll be back on track. There you go. Uh, we were just we were just talking to ex Cowboys, Broncos, and Jaguars defensive end and founder of Mister Mints Production, Jeremy Mincy. Fantastic guy. Yes, he is nice guy. Uh, he's got some nice shades. Look at him. Oh, I, mean, I love the shades. I mean, I, I'm a shades guy too. You know, we were just talking to a sneakerhead uh, Antoine Harris, who is a big sneaker guy, and now we're talking to a guy that has some nice shades. I'm a shades guy too, so I like the Gucci shades. Come on, man. I mean. Jeremy, Jeremy knows how to, you know, strunt it, but so, so do I. So, there we go. I mean, I, but I, see, I wouldn't look good on a radio show, uh, you know, when people are watching me with shades on. I think people would be like, I can't see your eyes. I don't know if you're even speaking to me. Are you talking to a wall or are you talking to your computer? What are you doing? So, uh, but uh, fantastic guy. And, uh, 
Again, I would love to get him on the show again. And I would love to see where he's going with his production company, too. As he was Jeremy, maybe the next time we have you on the show, uh, Errol will wear shades on air for you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. You know what? I, don't, I mean, I don't need them. But... Hey, look at that. You, you look different without your shades, man. You look different. But uh, fantastic guy. He really is. So, uh, what a day, man. It, it's, been, it's been crazy. I, I actually, today... I had this paper cut, and I it couldn't stop bleeding. I don't know if anybody's ever had a paper cut. I'm sure many different people have had paper cuts. And a couple of weeks ago, I was stapling something, and I, I stapled uh, a staple in my finger. Mm. And it, it actually went so deep, it went to the bone, and I was trying to pull it out with tweezers. And I actually, I didn't need to go to the hospital because I'm not one of those guys that go to the hospital, you know, but I was trying to pick it. And I don't know if anybody's had like a metal splinter. So I I cut, I cut the end of the, of the staple to try to pull it out. So I had leverage to pull it out. That was the worst pain I have been in. And I, I've been, I've been stabbed by a knife before in my hand and stuff like that. Having a staple that was practically in your bone and trying to tweeze it out is the worst feeling in the world. Speedy, have you ever had a? I've never had that. I've I've definitely had plenty. Of, I've definitely had plenty of splinters. Not a metal one though. I've had wood splinters though. Well, and, we yeah. we do know that. I mean, you you do like to you know invite your dog into your room and and do crazy things, right? No, that was by accident. How did I? I Again, on this show, I, and I, I don't want to go too deep into it. No, guys. Jeremy does not need to hear that part. I, I, I don't think he wants to hear that part. No, but, I don't think he would either, Jeremy. Don't but, worry. But it doesn't make any sense. How does your dog open up your door? I, I don't understand that. It's How the does... one room he's trained into because my brother so Aiden's you younger trained room. your dog? No, not me. So who trained your dog to open up? He did it inadvertently because that's where he sleeps. So he, he... so he has the power of using his He used paw. his head. He uses his head to open up. A door. Yeah. Because there's no lock on it. It's Jeremy, lock- I, I, I don't want to tell you what his dog <laughs> did to him. I don't want to tell you what his dog did to him, but uh, it is one of the most unique, weird stories you will ever hear. So I won't do it. I don't want to throw him under the bus uh, to an ex-NFL player, but uh, I'm sure you'd be on the floor laughing if you knew what his dog did to him. So <laughs> anyways. I can only imagine. Well, trust me, you don't want to imagine. <laughs> you don't want to imagine, Jerry. Don't do, don't don't let him don't, don't let him uh, try to manipulate you there. <laughs> uh, maybe Speedy should add a little pe- little bit of pe- little bit of peanut butter. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh man, Speedy, you are one unique individual. <laughs> <laughs> oh man huh oh, all right <laughs> all right let's get let's get back into the show before i fall over anyways uh lou lamorello and the new york islanders are in a significant amount of trouble and i i know you you sit here today and and a lot of people think when when your team isn't playing well and the trade deadlines are right around the corner, you have the all-star break coming up in about a week uh, in Florida, and the Islanders are going to have to make a decision. They're going to have to make a decision. Are they buyers or are they sellers? And right now the Islanders' game has just been absolutely horrendous. Right now the Islanders are three for the last 59, 
59 on the power play. They're 5.8% on the power play. It's absolutely horrendous. Worst streak in NHL history. The Maple Leafs, 51 in a row during the original six era. The Panthers, 43 in 2014. The Sharks, 41 in a row in 1997. This is how bad the Islanders have been this year. The Islanders are the third worst overall power play in the league right now with a 16.1%. Only the Blue Jackets and the Canadians are worse. (laughs) The Blue Jackets and the Canadians, the two worst teams right now in the NHL. The Islanders are, they only have 23 power play goals total this season. The NHL record, the NHL record in, 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 uh, I'm sorry, the NHL record for the last. For the least in 82 games in a season in 1997 and 1998 by the Tampa Bay Lightning, who only scored 33 and had a percentage of 9.3% in the league. Okay? The Islanders are are, are one of 11 teams in the NHL this season that do not have have a 20-goal score yet. Yet. You have guys like Matthew Barzell. And even Brock Nelson right now has, I think, 16, 16 goals. 18 yeah. goals. Well, he, he must have scored two goals the other day because mm-hmm. uh, they don't have a 20-goal score. And, and this is a huge problem for Lou Lamorello. And I know a couple of months ago I mentioned um, Malkin and a guy that if, you know, in the offseason – uh, when he became a free agent, that I thought that Malkin would be a nice pickup for the New York Islanders. And I want to go back to what I said, okay? Because he is not a Lou Lamorello guy. He is not a Lou, he's not a gritty guy. He's not a Zach Parisi, a Jason Arnott type of guy. If you remember Patrick Eliash, and, and Patrick Eliash, Eliash was a guy that Lou Lamorello drafted years and years ago. A guy that could score goals, play defense. He was a two-way player. Lou Lamorello likes those two-way players. And and Lou, the answers Lou gave you the other day, there's no excuse because that's that's on me. Totally on me, Lou Lamorello said the other day. That's my responsibility to make us the best we possibly can. To make whatever changes we can. It's not the coaching staff. That's it's not the players. And I take full responsibility on the situ in the situation we are in today. When you hear that from Lou Lamorello, you had a chance in the offseason to bring in players, bring in offensive players. There were three quality offensive players that were available in the offseason, and you struck out on all three of them. All three of them. And if you're an Islander fan, I don't want to hear the Islander excuses. I am an Islander fan. The Islanders should absolutely be sellers right now. Absolutely be sellers. Right now, there are, I think, nine and a half million under the cap. I, th- I, th- I think it's nine million. If they go into the offseason next year, they trade off Brock Nelson or um, a guy that a lot of teams would want. He can win faceoffs. He can. He's very good, you know, offensively. He's a good defensive center. He can win faceoffs. He's that type of guy. You could trade him. He has a high value right now. High value. Vlamov, uh, a backup goaltender right now for the New York Islanders behind Sorokin. He is now finally healthy. A goaltender that a lot of teams like the Edmonton, the Edmonton Oilers could use. Or the Nashville Predators could use. Seattle. Seattle could use. Vlamov could be a great backup goaltender for one of those playoff teams right now. I don't know what you can get for him. Maybe you get a second round draft pick. Maybe you get a conditional pick for him. 
but you can get rid of him. And, and, and yes, maybe if you want to bring him back in the offseason next year, you get him for cheaper if he wants to come back. He's already said he'd take, take less money to stay with the Islanders. There are a ton of players right now. J.C. Uh, Pajot. He's he's a guy that they traded a first round and a second round draft pick. Uh, what was it? Three years ago. Mm-hmm. Lula Morella hasn't had a first round draft pick in two years. Two years. And right now the Islanders farm system is crap. Offensively, crap. They have Ratty. He's he's a good player. They have some decent defensemen uh, in their farm system in the KHL. In the OHL, they have some good young defensemen, but they're they're at least three, four years away. And you can't trade away prospects. You can't. They're too valuable. Especially when you haven't had a first round draft pick in almost two or three years. The last time I believe Lou Lamorello had a first round draft pick was at the draft I was at yep. in Dallas. They had the two. Yep. When they had Wallstrom and Dobson. And both guys are right now up with the Islanders. Dobson, I think, is having a fantastic offensive season. Uh, not so much defensively. And, and Wallstrom has been, a, and right now, so far, has been a bust. He hasn't been the player. I know he's young. He's 23 years old. Still, he's still a little wet behind the ears. I think he's 23. It might be 22. A little wet behind the ears, but... Offensively, that everybody thought this guy was going to be a 30-goal scorer, just like Lafanier with the New York Rangers when he was drafted at number one. He's been really play, he's playing like a bust. But you look at the you look at the Islanders right now. Since Adam Pellick's injury in the last 20 games, he has missed. The Islanders have been outscored outscored 63 to 52 and have allowed an average of 30.7 shots per game, and have allowed 10 power play goals. You're talking about one player not in the lineup. And because he's not in the lineup, the defense is not playing at a full capacity. You have Pulak, you have all these defensemen, and everybody going into the season had the Islanders still one of the more talented defensemen, defensive teams in the NHL. Even without a great coach, that they decided to fire in the offseason. I mean, if you if you really sit here today and you look at the Islanders and you try to figure out where this team is and what this team is all about, I don't know what they are. Offensively, defensively, we know what their goaltender is. Their goaltender finally earned a chance to play in an All-Star game. Who cares? It doesn't mean anything. But Sorokin has been standing on his damn head, winning, getting 40 shots, he has a 2.36 goals against average and a, two, a, nine point, a point .925 or whatever the hell is uh, save percentage. He He's doing everything he can to keep his team in the game, and they can't do anything in front of him. Nothing. It's an embarrassment. And Lou Lamarillo, there is no excuses right now. Maybe the game has passed him. I don't know. But there is no excuses. I, I've heard the Islanders are interested in Timo Meyer. They're interested interested in Patrick Kane. They're interested in Bo Horvat. They could be interested all they want. How are they going to bring these guys in? And do they fit with this team? So far, what we've seen with Lambert, he he knows he plays a little defense. He plays a little offense. He wants to open up open up the ice. Since he's tried to open up the ice in the last couple of weeks, 
The team hasn't scored. This is one of the worst goal-scoring teams in the NHL. These numbers are horrendous. Especially on the power play. Three for 59. That is 5% on the power play. The The lowest single season total that was the shortened season was, was the Anaheim Ducks, which was at 9%. And the Islanders have done pretty much half of a season on 5%. It's just insane. And they're at 16% right now for the whole year, which is not great. I think, it, like you said, third worst in the NHL right now. And the other two teams, the Blue Jackets are the worst team in the Eastern Conference. And Montreal just lost their best player for the season, Caulfield. And they're not going anywhere either with Martin St. Louis. So, yeah, the Islanders do not want to put themselves in the same boat with those teams. And here's another thing, and this is another interesting statistic. The Islanders are the oldest team in terms of average age by over a full year, 29.36 years old. Next next oldest team is the Stars with an average of the age 27.97. That means the Islanders are the oldest team in the NHL right now. Mm -hmm. They're the oldest team in the NHL. They have some good young players. You, you have teams like the Rangers, one of the younger teams, one of the top three younger teams in the NHL. You're going into next year with the oldest roster in hockey and an overpaid roster. You have guys making too much money. Why is Bailey making $5.5 million? Why is he making $5.5 million? I think the deals that they gave to Pulak and Pelic were good at the time. Yeah. Now, is it really good? Pulak has not been a very good defenseman over the last last past year. Pelic is a great defenseman, but he hasn't been healthy the last year and a half. He's been fighting injury. He he went to his first All-Star game last year. First All-Star game. That was the first time I remember Adam Pelic in the first before the All-Star break that he was 100% healthy. This is a team that just needs to figure out what their identity is. And we all know what Lou Lamorello is looking for. He wants the gritty. He wants the guy that's going to go out there and not complain about how many shots he has, how many block shots he has to make. He, he goes out there and plays like a team player. He doesn't want a me player. He doesn't want a Sidney Crosby or a Vetchkin or one of these guys or a McDavid. He wants a team player. He's going, he's going and Barzell has been a team player. He really has. For a guy that has the, the ability that he has, and he could skate, he could shoot, he could do everything, he's taken two steps back offensively ever since Lou Lamarola's come to the team. Barry Trotz is a defensive-minded coach. Lou decided to fire Barry Trotz, bring in his disciple in Lambert. And I, I think Lambert, is, I thought Lambert was a good coach. But right now, in the position that the Islanders are in, Maybe he isn't. And it's tricky for somebody like Barzal, too, that has to rely a lot on his individual skills to be able to get that kind of coaching with a guy that's still a defensive style coach and a team that's really built as a defensive team. Even a lot of the forwards they do have, too. A lot of them are, like you said, older. They're more gritty or defensively, but aren't really the, the speed types to help complement with Barzal. And that's why all the rumors were swirling about guys like Tarasenko. Now, recently, guys like Timo Meyer, Philip Forsberg was a big one in the offseason. They wanted to get somebody to go with that. And the young players, maybe they'll get there. But again, the Islanders really don't have a lot of time to be able to just develop them. 
the you look at the Rangers. The Rangers they sent the letter to the fans in 2017 saying we're going to rebuild. They let the young players develop. Now they haven't developed fully. Capocacco is kind of underwhelmed. Lafreniere's underwhelmed. Fine, but they're developing where they have a role. The Islanders' young players they haven't gotten that kind of thing yet because of that, and they're kind of forcing their hand on a lot of these older players. Like you said, Bailey, five million dollars, doing practically nothing this year, and Beauvillier streaky year to year. Brock Nelson's good for what he is, but he's a very streaky scorer, and that kind of identity just really doesn't work anymore. And you look at the rest of this division. The Devils, the youngest team in the league right now, 24.71 average age. The Rangers, like you said, uh, the eighth youngest team in the league right now. Carolina's pretty young as well. And the Islanders, really old right now, and they're going to have a lot of cap issues. They only have $3 million right now. They'll have $10 million in the offseason, so we'll see what they well, do. I thought they had $9 million. They have $3 million. And, and listen, the, the trade for Alexander uh, Romanov, he has been a, a real shining defenseman for them. He really has. Alexander Romanov has been very, very good for the Islanders. Anders Lee, he's a one-dimensional player. He, he is a one-dimensional player. He's like a Dino Cicerelli. He's going to stand in front of the net. And he's going to try to tip the puck in. He's going to use his size and his ability. He is not worth eight and a half, nine million dollars He is making as much as Matthew Barzell is, and he is the most talented player, the most skilled player on this team. It, it, it's unbelievable. And then you have guys that are getting overpaid right now. Overpaid. Not worth the money that they have invested in these guys. We've seen the system of the way a lot of these teams have built that have done well in the playoffs recently, too. Now, the Islanders did have some playoff success the last couple of years with Barry Trotz. I'm not saying that the Islanders don't have a good playoff identity if they make it, but the, the way that the team's built is usually based on the center depth first and the good goaltending, and they'll fill in all the rest later, the great guys later. It seems like the Islanders paid a lot of those like size guys, those great guys that are going to get those tough goals like Anders Lee, like you were saying, and they haven't really been able to get that other guy as a result, and they've had every chance to do it. For the last two years, we've been talking about which winger should the Islanders trade for, and it just hasn't come to fruition because of it. Two years ago, they traded for Kyle Palmieri. Right. They traded for Kyle Palmieri. We all know Lou Lamorello when GM of the year. He won back-to-back GMs of the year for the Pajot trade, which obviously has smacked the Islanders back in the face because they gave up a first and a second. And then Kyle Palmieri, which they gave a significant amount back uh, for Kyle Palmieri. Kyle Palmieri in the playoffs last year was not good. Kyle Palmieri in the regular season was not good. This year, Kyle Palmieri has how many goals? What has he done this year as, as a player that's making $5.5 million? I don't know. He's played in 23 games. He has six goals and five assists. And his plus minus is minus, 11, minus one, I'm sorry. You cannot win. And, and you're paying these guys $5.5 million. There are players right now in the league that are way Better than Kyle Palmieri. I have I've seen I've looked through some of these rosters in the NHL. Some of these rosters in the NHL, there are guys that have twenty goals, eighteen goals right now that are making the same amount as amount of money as Kyle Palmieri. The Islanders, when they brought him in, when the Islanders decided to re-sign, when Lou Lamorello decided to re-sign Kyle Palmieri, if you remember, they believed that Kyle Palmieri was a 25-30 goal scorer on this team. 25-30 goal score. He will never score 25-30 goals with this New York Islander team. There, There's too many offensive deficiencies in this team. They don't have a playmaker besides Matthew Barzell. Matthew Barzell can't play in every single shift. And that's why he's a facilitator. I want to see what Matthew Barzell could be 
when he's not the facilitator, when there's another speed demon on his line, like a Timo Meyer or somebody like that, a Bo, a Bo Horvat, a talented player that can put the puck in the net and actually pass the puck. Barzell has never played with a super talent like any of those players. And for the last two years, Lou Lamorello has been trying to bring in free agents, top-end free agents, to play with Matthew Barzell, and he is struck out. And it just goes to the philosophy. They're trying to bring in a lot of these size skill guys that, again, works for a smaller sample. We've seen Washington win a cup that way. There are certain teams. St. Louis was more like that, too, when they won. But they still had those guys, too, guys that could create. And Barzell really hasn't had the chance to create because of that. He's really had to space his own ice and then really throw it in front of the net, make a move himself, or try to pass it to the point and have their defenseman score, have a, have a winger score in a very simple shot, and they haven't been able to take their offense to the level that they need to in today's game. You look at Tampa, they've, the, the two cups they've had, and yes, their defense is very good too, but they're based on a system that works for them to pass the puck and move the puck because they have guys that can space the ice very well. And all young guys, a lot of young guys, yeah, they have the Pat Maroons and the veteran guys they brought into the trade deadline, but those are trade deadline acquisitions. I thought the main core of the team. The main core of the team is Stamkos, Kucherov, Kaloran, those guys. Same kind of thing with Colorado, too, this year. Main guys are speed guys. The Islanders don't have that right now. They're trusting a lot of older guys. I think when you look at guys like TJ Oshie, he's a, he's a Lou Lamorello guy. He's yeah. a guy that can play two-way hockey. He could put the puck in the net. He could play defense. And he's also a Barry Trotz guy. Mm-hmm. He played under Barry Trotz. You need guys like that. Those are the type of guys that they need to look for. They don't need a finesse guy. Now, Timo Meyer, he would be a perfect fit for the Islanders. He's rough. He can hit. He can put the puck in the net. He's the perfect. But what is he going to cost? What is he going to cost? What are you willing to give up? Are you going to give up another first-round first draft pick? Are you going to give Roddy out? Uh, your second-round draft pick from, from, from a year and a half ago? You can't give away talent. You can't give away skilled players that you don't have in your farm system. Especially with not a sense of direction for this year, too. You, uh, the Islanders right now are right now a borderline team, and that, that makes it hard to be able to make that kind of big, big swing. Yeah. Uh, if you could get it for a discounted price later, we've seen Lula Morello be GM of the year by getting good value. You're later. not going to get Timo Meyer for cheap. He is a free agent yeah, right. at the end of the year. I would wait until free agency. I would be a seller. The Islanders are not making the playoffs. There are too many good teams in the Metropolitan Division. There's too many good teams in the East. You have the the Bruins kicking ass over there. Yeah. Uh, you have the Lightning starting to pick up their game. Everybody, the Toronto is a really good team. There is no way. Even Buffalo is starting to win. Mm-hmm. So how do they expect to make the playoffs the way they're playing? They can't put the puck in the net. They're averaging, what, two and a half goals a game in the last, what, four weeks? They can't can't score. And if you can't score in the NHL, no matter how good defensively you are, which they're not right now, and how good your goaltender is, which he's super good, it doesn't matter. You're not going to win games. Mm-hmm. You're not going to win games. And Buffalo is a perfect example of that. Buffalo has risen to this point because they have speed, because they have so much good skill across the ice. Yes, Teach Thompson has 30-something goals. He's not the only guy there. They have Jeff Skinner. They have a defenseman in Rasmus Dahlin that skates really well. And these guys space the ice. If they had any level of like consistently good goaltending, they'd be a, a top-three team in, in the Eastern Conference right now, or top-four team in the Eastern Conference right now, because they have that modern identity. Yeah, they need a little more grit guys later down the road, 
But they could trade for that. They have so many pieces. They could do that. The Islanders, they're running out of it because they're very cash-strapped as it is in these veteran guys. So they're going to have to hope they could trade off the veteran guys. I agree. I would probably be a seller at this point unless you can get some kind of bargain, which Lou Lamorello says he still explore. But they can't trade first-round picks and shoot for one player like they've done in previous years. Major League news. Scott Rowland and Fred McGriff. Finally, Fred McGriff. Is induct- he's going to be inducted into the Hall of Fame. Two guys, only two guys are going to be inducted. Fred McGriff, obviously off the ballot. Uh, I think it was the uh, what, what, uh, he got voted in by um, what yeah, was the, the senior citizen. Senior citizen, yeah, yeah which uh, they do now. Uh, the MLB will do every single five years. They'll have a senior citizen uh, vote where maybe one guy that is off the ballot have a, maybe I'll have a chance to get back on the val- on the ballot. So uh, Scott Rowland received seventy six point three percent of the votes to get into the Hall of Fame after getting sixty three point two percent last year, highest percentage among players that didn't get voted in two thousand twenty two. Becomes the eighteenth third baseman to make base- the Baseball Hall of Fame. Other. Other players that were short this year was Todd Helton with 72.2%, Billy Wagner 68.1%, Andrew Jones 58.1%. I don't I don't understand that. Um, and Gary Sheffield 55%. The reason why Gary Sheffield is not in the Hall of Fame because he was a steroid user. Right. And Jeff Kent missed on the 10th and final year, finishing over 465 of the vote, which is unbelievable. This guy is one of the greatest second basemen to ever play in the game. The White Sox pitcher, Mike uh, Clevenger, being investigated right now for domestic violence. MLB investigating Clevenger for abuse of 24-year-old Olivia Finstead uh, and child abuse charges for 10-month-year-old daughter. Statements from The Athletic, according to Finstead, she has detailed to those investigations uh, incidents and physical and verbal and emotional abuse, including an incident from the la- last June in, the, in which Finstead and Clevenger choked her. And another about two weeks later when... She said Clevenger slapped her in a hotel room when the team was playing the Dodgers and threw used chewing tobacco chewing tobacco on their child. A source familiar to the MLB investigation process confirms there is an open investigation on Clevenger. The source added that the White Sox became aware of the allegations after he was signed. So very interesting story. Speedy, you have anything to say on that? Yeah, uh, they're comparing it right now with the whole Trevor Bauer situation. I think that's it's, ten times worse. You think this is ten times worse? You're doing it to a kid, too. Like, th- that's really bad. Like, we saw a pitcher, I, I forget his name offhand. It was an Oregon State pitcher. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jeff was talking about a, a couple of years ago on our show in college, in college baseball that was one of the top prospects, too, that had uh, child molestation charges, too, where he, he, uh, he did gross things to a nine-year-old. And mm-hmm. this is even worse, a ten-month-old child. And you're doing that. Plus, again, what, what Olivia Feinstein was saying as well. This this could definitely be worse. You look at Trevor Bauer, the indefinite suspension he got, and now it got reduced. It was 324 games. Now it's down to 194, but he can only get a veteran's victim. I think this is going to be a lot worse because you even said it, too. Like, there was a lot of instances where they didn't know what completely happened with Trevor Bauer. This seems a little more clear that I, he did a lot more than just the one thing. I'll sit here today and listen. Trevor Bauer should not play another Major League Baseball game. In his career, agreed. He should never play again. And I don't know if the obviously he wasn't he was accused of something that obviously in court 
uh, was pushed out of court. It, it, he was, you know, it was waived because none of the stories that were were obviously said was believed to be true. But nevertheless, there he did admit to doing those things to the woman, even though she allowed him to do it. There, he should have never did that. You look at this story, and Clevenger is, is a good pitcher. We we all know what he's done. He's he's been a journeyman in the major leagues. He's he, I, he's pitched for Cleveland. He's pitched all over the place, and he's been a pretty su- su- successful pitcher. The problem with Clevenger and this story is, if this story is true, he's abusing a child. Child abuse is is just as bad as domestic violence and and women abuse, but. You know, abusing a child, a young child, a 10-month-year-old child that can't protect themselves is disgusting. It's despicable. And if this, if, if this story becomes a true story and, and, and the investigation finds that he is um, obviously accused of this and it's true, uh, he, not only should he be suspended, he should never play another baseball game in his career. Yep. Completely agree. This is this would be in a suspension that's indefinite and should stay indefinite. I don't I don't think any team should ever take that chance of signing him again. Um, by the way, Snug says they are going to make an example of Clevenger. Yeah, just like they did with Trevor Bauer. Right. Trevor Bauer is never probably going to play another baseball game again. Now, I, we could be wrong because there might be a crazy team out there like the Cleveland Indians who actually had him on the team that might say, you know what, Terry Francona might take that, you know. Take that chance with him. Cleveland had both guys on their team at one point. Yeah, so maybe he takes that chance. Maybe they were best friends. I don't know. Maybe. Um, but I, you, you look at this story. It's a disgusting story. It really is. But congratulations. It, and I, I will say this. Congratulations to Scott Rowland, who was a great third baseman. If you look at his numbers, uh, 316 home runs, a career 281 hitter, uh, over 1,211 runs, over 1,200 RBIs. Uh, even for a guy who really is not a base still, 118 stolen bases, his on-base percentage 364, slugging 490, on OPS is 855. I, I mean, when you look at the guys that were available to go into the Hall of Fame, I would say... Roland was probably the least talented, I, I would say. I mean, when you look at – Gary Sheffield was a better player than Scott Roland, in my eyes. Gary Sheffield hit close to 500 home runs. He did hit 500 home runs. But he did steroids. Andrew Jones, I have no idea. He was never accused of doing steroids. Mm-hmm. Never accused of doing steroids. This guy was one of the best center fielders in Major League history. I mean, this guy was a shutdown center fielder and a power hitter. He can hit. He he was he he can hit all over the field. He was dominant. If you look at Andrew Jones's numbers, there's not many players, not many center fielders in history that did and had the numbers Andrew Jones had. So why he's only getting 58.1% of the votes makes absolutely no sense. Billy Wagner is one in in, in a time of 10 years was probably a top 3 top 4 relief pitcher in baseball. And and you look at his numbers, how many pitchers had better numbers than him? Mariano Rivera? Mm-hmm. I I mean for for a 10 year span how is Billy Wagner? He, he was dominant in Philadelphia. One dominant. Of the, one of the best lefty relievers of all time. And this guy only got 68% of the votes. He will get into the Hall of Fame next year. Todd Helton was a great first baseman, but he played in Colorado. He played in Colorado. And I, we have seen players really grow and, and become dominant forces in Colorado, and then they go somewhere else. Todd Helton, remember, at the end of his career, he left Colorado. He wasn't the same player. Right. 
Now, do I think Todd Helton will get in? Yeah, he's got 72.2% of the votes. So next year he will get in. But this is not the best crop of, you know, Hall of Famers that we have seen over the last couple of years. Derek Jeter, the last year, went into the Hall of Fame. One of the greatest shortstops to ever play a game. You know, I'm not a big fan of his, but <laughs> yes. uh, he's still one of the greatest players of this era. So it, it, it this crop of players, I and I'm not taking shots at Scott Rowland, okay? I think Scott Rowland was a great third baseman. But they had to induct somebody into the Hall of Fame, and they did, they did with him. Why isn't Kurt Schilling in the Hall of Fame? Mm-hmm. I don't understand that. All of a sudden, Kurt Schilling is off the ballot. I, I guess he was on the ballot too long. Mm-hmm. His eligibility was up last year, and obviously the comments he made towards the Hall of Fame didn't help either. Well, w- would you be happy? <laughs> no, I'm not saying he's, he's not justified in that because we've seen guys that are much more scandalous guys get in in the past too. So why? Honestly, <laughs> honestly, and Roy Holiday was a great pitcher. Who would you rather have pitch in a big game, Roy Holiday or Kurt Schilling? Kurt So, and Roy Holiday is a Hall of Famer, and may he rest in peace. He was a fantastic player. He was the dominant force in Toronto. Everybody remembers him. He was fantastic. Okay, he and when he went to Philadelphia, he was great. He had a couple of no hitters. Fantastic. Kurt Schilling, I, I I hated Kurt Schilling because. Every time he played the New York Yankees, if he wasn't with the Diamondbacks, which he beat the he beat the Yankees on the Diamondbacks, and then he beat the Yankees when he was on the Boston Red Sox. Everybody knows the uh, the bloody sock game and, and how dominant he was. I hated Kurt Schilling, absolutely hated Kurt Schilling. And, and as much as I hated him, I always wanted Kurt Schilling to play on my team. How is Kurt Schilling not in the Hall of Fame? I I, I can name a bunch of a bunch of players in the past. That should be in the Hall of Fame. And because they weren't very nice to the press, they weren't very nice to the writers, they're not in the Hall of Fame. So what do you have to do? you got to get on your knees and kiss their ass? Pretty much at this point. It's just so hypocritical, though, because it's a, it's a sport that's been filled with scandals and filled with controversy. You'll, even going back to the 1918 Black Sox, the movie Eight Men Out. And a lot of those guys are in the Hall of Fame, no problem. But somebody like Kurt Schilling, that, uh, yeah, he's had some choice words. Yeah, he's said yeah. some bad things. But, yes. again, he's one of the best postseason pitchers of all time. It makes no sense. Uh, Snug also says, didn't Halliday throw a no-hitter in the playoffs? He threw a perfect game in the playoffs. Perfect game in the playoffs. And Kurt Schilling was a dominant force in the playoffs. And I Again, I'll go into it. What did when Holiday pitched the no hitter in that game, or I'm sorry, the perfect game in that yep. playoffs? Did they win? Did they win? Yep. Did they win? Did, I'm not talking about. Did they win? Oh, the, the World Series? No. no, they didn't win the World Series. No. When Kurt Schilling was a dominant force, when he needed to pitch a big game again with the Diamondbacks with Randy Johnson in him, did they win? Mm-hmm. They won. When when he played with the the Bloody Sock, did they win? Mm-hmm. Okay, so that that's what I'm saying. I don't care what. What he did, pitched a perfect game in which it's almost impossible to pitch a perfect game in the playoffs. They didn't win. Philadelphia didn't win when he pitched that perfect game. I don't even think Roy Holiday ever won a World Series. No, he came after the Phillies won in 2008. He was traded the next year when they lost Kurt to the Schilling won how many World Series? Three? Three, yep. He won three World Series, and he was a big part of all of them. Mm-hmm. All of them. One of the best posts. And I understand. I, 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 I'm not a big... Schilling fan. I know he said some interesting, and and Jeff is right. He said some anti-Semitic things right. in the past. He said a lot of weird, crazy things. That doesn't hold you back from going into the World Series. That doesn't take away your talent. It doesn't take away what you have done on a baseball field. Right. 
And again, if you're going to do that, leave everybody that's involved in controversy out. You, you're, it seems like baseball, the Baseball Hall of Fame in particular, is just so selective with who they just single out all the time, too. And Ryan Spader, every time we have him on the show, discusses it all the time. Just how Kurt Schilling, he how said Kurt Schilling's a Hall of Famer. Yeah, how biased they are to certain guys. It just makes no sense. Speaking of Jeff, he has arrived. Jeff, what's up, bud? How are you? I'm good, man. What's up? Yeah, I, you know, look, dude, the Kurt Schilling thing. People need to realize that, like, like, look, it was he a great baseball player? He certainly was. He really was. But at the end of the day, the Hall of Fame is a museum for baseball. And I think people don't want to build shrines to pieces of shit. <laughs> like, they don't want they don't want to be, you know, like the 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 Ty Cobb thing is a black eye for them. They don't like the Ty Cobb is it. They're not going to throw him out. But they're just not going to let guys in that say anti-Semitic things like Kurt Schilling did. It's a museum to try to celebrate baseball. And if you start celebrating these people that say these kinds of things, we're in a whole new world now, man. You can't just be good at baseball. You have to also – and by the way, the bar is pretty low. Just don't be a piece of shit. I understand that. And Jeff, okay, so what is the reasons why Jeff Kent isn't in the world – he isn't in the Hall of Fame? He's kind of a fringe dude, don't you think? Not really. If you look at all the Hall of Famers, all the second base Hall of Fame in, of, of Famers right now in, in, in Cooperstown, he, is, he probably has uh, top five numbers uh, of all time when it comes to second baseman. If you look at it, defensively, offensively, Speedy, bring up his numbers. Yes, 377 no, home runs. Hold on, hold on. 290 career hitter, 377 home runs, 1518. Uh, RBI. He won four silver sluggers in his career. Uh, 356 on base percentage for his career. Five-time All-Star. He played from 1992 to 2008. 17 years. 17 years! How is Jeff Kent not in the Hall of Fame? Right, but that's also not the point. You're talking about why is Kurt Schilling not in. It's very easy. He's a piece of shit. All right, and they they say that about Jeff Kent. They say that about Jeff Kent all the time, Jeff. Right, but Right, but no one, no one can point to, oh, he said anti-Semitic things or whatever. So the Jeff Kent thing's a little bad. There's no doubt Kurt Schilling has done and said things that are blatantly racist. And I think the Museum of Baseball is tired of celebrating racists. Okay. That's all. Okay, so, so Kurt Schilling, to me, he represents a, a bad— as a baseball player, yes, he should be there as a baseball player. Okay, so that's what I'm saying. You don't want to you don't want him in because he's an anti-Semitic ass. I understand that, but as a baseball well, player, he should be there. Yeah, you want to know it, but your whole you you have such a weird double standard, okay? Right? Let's hear this. Oh, oh, okay. Trevor Bauer, wow, terrible person, should never play. Well, why not? Well, because you think he did terrible things. Why can't the Hall of Fame have it that way too. They're a separate entity. If Major League Baseball can hold a guy out because he's a piece of shit, so can the Hall of Fame. Okay, people so, need to start wrapping their head around that. All right, so we look at the game and David Ortiz. Because David Ortiz is such a nice guy and such a friendly guy, he did steroids. He did steroids, and I don't care what you say, Jeff. He did steroids. Why is he in the Hall of Fame? Terrific baseball player and also mm-hmm. not a piece of shit. 
So bec- so it's okay. He hasn't, he hasn't beaten women. He hasn't said racist things. But he did steroids. He said anti-Semitic. Yeah, okay. Other, other steroid guys have gotten into. Who? Didn't Rafael Palmeiro get in? No, he didn't. He in? No, no he he's not. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. Oh, he hasn't gotten in? No. I think there are, weren't there other guys Who? that did steroids? Gotten, I can't wait I for know. this. David Ortiz is the first <clears throat> one that has admitted to doing some kind of steroid or human growth hormones, and he's the only one to get in. The only one. Why? Why is David Ortiz in the Hall of Fame? And- also, by the way, also, mm-hmm. I think it's true. You think it's true. Also, never tested positive. Not proven. Oh, stop it, Jeff. What do you mean? Oh, stop, stop it, it never Jeff. Never tested positive. Jeff, come on. He was on the list. He was on the list, Jeff. Alex Rodriguez was the first name to pop out on the list. Why? Because Selig hated him. Absolutely hated Alex Rodriguez. And I think Alex Rodriguez is one of the worst people in the world. What he did to so many different people in in his wrath of steroid abuse. He was a horrible person. He really was. And that was another thing, I think, the first time we had Spader on the show that he mentioned, too. Not that he didn't think Ortiz shouldn't have gotten in, but the fact that there, uh, there was uh, the George Mitchell uh, bias with the Red Sox, too. Absolutely. They mentioned, and they, he mentioned it, and they kind of threw other guys away because of it. Either they all should have gotten in or not in it. Uh, not None of them yet. And he knows all about the George Mitchell report. Yeah. He, he knows all about it. He's written about it. There's the, 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 the MLB wants to throw him out, okay? Ryan Spader is hated by the major leagues. Right. He's got like 80,000 people following him on Twitter. The MLB absolutely despises him, but a lot of the players respect him because he's honest. He's honest. And Jeff, I agree with you. Look, I, I look, agree with I, you. Right, but I'm agreeing with you too. Like, I don't know why Ortiz is in over some of the other guys, and you can make arguments, whatever, but at the end of the day, it's not hitting a woman. It's not racism. It's not anti-Semitism. People can... A-Rod may get in. People can forgive the steroid abuse because it's cheating. It has to do with baseball. It's not segregating an entire group of human beings. That's what it, That's what it's about. Like, oh, you're just railing on Cleverage. Oh, he did this. He did that. He yeah. should never play baseball no, again. No, he shouldn't. And I, but, right. And I fully agree with you. But what if he had, had just retired his whole career? He's a... He keeps up how he was playing baseball. He's a Hall of Famer. And then a year after he he retires, this comes out. Do you start arguing, well, hey, let's put Clevenger in? No, because he's a piece of shit. And, and how about these writers? These writers, are, you're trying to figure out what these writers are looking for on who should get into the Hall of Fame and who shouldn't get into the Hall of Fame. How many people, how many people look at C.C. Sabathia? When C.C. Sabathia becomes, becomes eligible on this list, is he Girl's a Hall of Famer? Bob. Is he a Hall of Famer? Because probably he should be right, probably. but a lot of I think a, he should be, yeah. a, a lot of a lot of these writers think that he shouldn't be. A lot of these well, writers don't think that he should got, be. Everyone's got their own opinion. You don't think Tom Brady was the greatest quarterback ever? Everyone's got their own opinion. The only reason I'm not going to get into Tom Brady. This has nothing to do with Tom no, Brady. No, I only use that as the example mm. because it's a sports opinion. You can have yeah. a sports opinion, and just because you disagree with the writers, that's fine. You can disagree. But what with are the writers, writers looking for? I thought it was a 500 home runs. That's what I thought over 
um, I guess, a but thousand not RBIs. Didn't get in has like five hundred home runs. No, I understand to, that. So to be honest, Roland didn't get in because his numbers are very good. Roland got in. Roland might be the first guy that got in because he was immaculate on defense. Oh, he was fantastic he was defense. Yeah, fantastic defensive player. But that, that goes back right. to the hypocrisy I was talking about, though. Why? Why they let Roland in and not Andrew Jones? Yeah, that kind of thing. Andrew Jones should be in the Hall of Fame, and Andrew Jones but might not get into I, the Hall of Fame. I don't. I don't disagree with you, but like. The, you guys asking the Kurt Schilling question, it answers itself. Because it, they, it, it just, uh, Jeff, they assume that Andrew Jones did steroids. They assume it. That's what they do. Right. They assume well, you're it. Assuming, well, you're assuming David Ortiz did him. No, but he was on the list. He was on Doesn't the Mitchell Report. The list. Show me a positive pass. <laughs> he was on the list. So Great. If he's there on the, the list. Are... Oh, God. Everybody Great. knows but, that Mitchell had a connection with... Mitchell had a connection with the Boston Red Sox. That's why a lot of these Boston oh, Red Sox. Stop he did. Did, did he not? Did Spader did not say that. That's what Spader mentioned. You're, Spader yeah. mentioned that. You're, you're still denying Goldilocks balls, and now you're slandering the Red Sox. I didn't Sox. deny Get that. I didn't, I did not deny Goldilocks balls, by the way. All right? And I don't care. All right? He, get, he was given Goldilocks balls because they wanted him to break the record. Who cares? Cheating. Right, cheating. Okay. Major League Baseball ch- helping a team. That's cheating. Okay. Helping Again, a team. Again, sport full of controversy. Oh, okay. And they're picking double standards of everything. Major League Baseball let the and, Astros and win the way, that championship. And by, the, and by the way, you wouldn't say who cares if it was another team that was doing it. You wouldn't. Really? But because it's your favorite. Oh, stop. No, you wouldn't. Stop. Because it's your stop, favorite Jeff. Aaron Judge. You go, I don't care that he's I am it. not an Aaron Judge fan. Do you ever or listen to – I want first. First you of all, for, first Come of on. all, buddy, first of all, buddy, I was one of the guys that didn't want Aaron Judge back. I didn't want to pay $360 million. I didn't want to give him nine years. I would have taken that money and invested it into two guys or maybe two guys in the offseason next year in a Soto or somebody like that or that becomes available because he's younger and he's worth the money. So, no, I wasn't an Aaron Judge fan. I didn't like that contract, and I think that contract's going to hurt the Yankees moving forward. Because the guy is 280 pounds, six foot seven, 31 years old. Cheating. You, 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 you deflect so quick. Now you're talking. About I'm not deflecting. I, didn't want him. I am not deflecting nothing. You're deflecting from one thing to another. I'm protecting myself. No, I'm not. I'm yes, saying, you I'm saying, are. No, I'm, I'm saying very much on subject. The subject was Kurt Schilling in the Hall of Fame, and he's not in because he's a piece of shit. <laughs> you, did you not bring up? Uh, did he not bring up Aaron Judge? Yeah, he did. Okay, he so right, what? Right, right, because right, because right, but that, but that, right, but that's just a whole other thing. It's like Kurt know, Schilling should you, be in the Hall of Fame. Period. He should not. He should not. Period. He shouldn't. He shouldn't. Okay. No, he shouldn't. And, and we shouldn't be celebrating someone who's anti-Semitic. No. We shouldn't. Again, I don't like the person that he is, but you have to like the player that he was. When you look at his numbers, they're Hall of well, Fame then, well, numbers. Well, then you. Then Over 3,000 strikeouts? Then you shouldn't argue Clevenger and Bauer shouldn't play again. You should <laughs> say, hey, it's a job. Let them play. How does that make sense? Kurt Schilling, it, Kurt it's Schilling off the, uses... If, if it's no, it's no. off the field stuff that doesn't have anything to do hold, with hold, baseball, so hold, let them play. Hold on one second. Kurt Schilling used words. He, he, was raised, he was raised differently than all of us. He didn't hurt that anybody. He didn't he hit anybody. Yes, he is. I, I absolutely agree with you. I, I have Jewish blood in me, so absolutely. Anti-Semitic, is, to me, is disgusting. But, again, he never hit anybody. He never hurt anybody. Okay, he he's a guy that mentioned I mean, what he meant. No, hold on, I'm playing. I'm playing anti-Semitism, saying it didn't hurt anybody. Okay, because 
In I words. Think anti-Semitism hurts a lot of people. Okay, he hurt in words. He didn't hurt anybody, you know, brutally, okay? When you look at I mean, when you look at Trevor Bauer, what he did, it's despicable. Domestic violence, even though he wasn't he he was accused of it and he got off on it. Still, Kurt Schilling didn't do what Trevor Bauer did. And then this Clevenger thing. Would argue, a, a lot of people would argue it's just as bad. And those two guys aren't going to the Hall of Fame. They don't have Hall of Fame numbers. Kurt Schilling's a Hall of Famer. What the heck? Uh, what has Bauer done? Okay. Besides throw the ball on the pitching mound over the outfield wall because he didn't get what he very wanted. Very impressive throw. By very way, impressive it, was, throw. it was, by the way. Don't worry. Don't worry. Trevor Bauer's been a very impressive, very impressive playoff pitcher just with drones. I actually think that is a, that, that's blasphemy. What do you do? With, no, that was an impressive throw. Come on, let's be honest. And what has Clevenger done? Okay. He's had maybe three right, good years been, in his career. Yeah, first three years two, of his career. Right, but, they, but they've been two of the best pitchers in baseball. And if they went another 10 years because they're still young enough, they could have Hall of Fame numbers. So just brushing it off by saying, what have they done? They could be Hall of Famers if they kept on the same career track that they had been on and played another 10 years. They could be Hall of Famers. I, I doubt it. So it's downplaying it. Uh, Bowers' no consistency issues have not boded well the Hall of Fame numbers. Remember, he was a top prospect with Arizona when he first came up. He was a top ten oh, prospect Oh, don't say those words. He, no, no he was, I, I think he was the number eight prospect in all of baseball. I want to say 32. He's 32 years old. If Trevor Bauer actually continue with his career, he's 83-69 and 69 with a 3.79 ERA and only has right, 1,416 right. strikeouts. There's no way this guy's a right, Hall but, of Famer. Right, but 83-69 and 69 with some of the worst teams on the planet. He was going to be with the Dodgers, who would be a wagon with him. You're almost guaranteed he's going to go. If what, he pitched to that standard that he did in Cleveland. If he pitched that standard. Right. right. But that's what I'm saying. But that's my argument. If they had kept going forward at the same pace that they were, because we don't know if you're going to improve or disintegrate quickly. We don't know. But his pace was inconsistent, that. though. He, he had a lot of bad years. He, re, he rebirthed he was himself. He still going to be playing on. He was still going to be playing on one of the best teams going in the Dodgers. Okay, so he, what was his contract? Three years? It was yeah, it was three years at forty million a year. He would yeah. he would have been there for three years. Okay, so let's see, and three then years, seventeen right, million. He would have been seventeen. Okay, Jesus Christ, Verlander is fucking sixty-five years old. He's still pitching. Okay, so you think Mike, Justin Verlander is collecting Social Security right now while also pitching for the Mets? Trevor Bauer will never. He would have never been a Hall of Famer. Never would have been a Hall of Famer. Doesn't doesn't matter. Pick a player. Okay. And Albert say that Bell they did what you Albert Bell. Right, piece of shit. Right. Shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame. Why not? What did what did Albert Bell do? Uh I don't know. Took a baseball and rifled it at someone and hit him in the chest in the outfield. Oh, I, I'm sorry. In the stands. Albert did Bell. He not? Albert Bell. First of all, first of all. Did he not? Yes or no? Did he do that? But that did doesn't make him that doesn't make him a, not a Hall of Famer, Jeff. How does that make him not a Hall of Famer? Listen, you can be Hall of Fame quality player, but you're forgetting the other element. The Hall of Fame is a museum that's there to celebrate players. Okay. And they don't want to celebrate pieces of shit. <laughs> okay. Let, let, let's, go, let's go through the last Hall of Famers in the last five years. Speedy, bring up the last Hall of Famers the last five years. I, I want to I see the list by, by the way, of by Hall the way, of you're, Famers. You're, you're, by the way, you're downplaying very much the fact that Albert Bell stood 10 feet from the stands mm -hmm. and fired a baseball at someone in the stands and hit them in the chest. That's pretty egregious. So he did one thing wrong, and 
it, it's going to cost them the Hall of well, Fame. Well, Trevor Bauer's done one thing wrong. Let him play, right? Uh, Trevor Bauer has did a lot of things wrong. Not just that, okay? So, right. And, how many and by the way, you're there? arguing Trevor Bauer did a whole lot. Yes. But at the end of the day, even Major League Baseball is basically saying, yeah, nothing to see here because the girl was making videos smiling about it. I, so I would it. agree with you. But he, the fact that he did it is disgusting anyways. For him to admit that he did stuff like that makes him even more, you know, a little. Uh, why would anybody wanna, want? Why would anybody want somebody like that look, on their team realize, doing that to a woman? I realize it's eleven thirty at night, and I don't know if we're doing arrow yes, we, in the dark. But no. she asked for some of the things that to, to be done. <laughs> All right, so twenty seventeen, uh, the the two veteran guys, uh, Bud Selig and John yes. Scherholtz, oh. and then uh, Pudger- Bud Selig, who's who's the one who allowed steroids going on. Yeah, great. <laughs> and then uh, the other yeah, three, yeah, he's trashed him. Yeah. Uh, Pudge Rodriguez, Tim Raines, Jeff Bagwell were the other three inductees that year. Tim Raines. Was a, is a borderline Hall of Fame. He should yeah. be in the Hall of Fame. Bagwell, I think. By, got the, way, I think by, by the way, I think Bagwell is a steroids guy too. Yes, yeah, yeah, he got in. Yes, he got in a second. But there try. was no, yeah. there was nothing admitted. He wasn't on the, the Mitchell report because uh, he was he was done right. before the Mitchell. Twenty eighteen, the two veteran guys, guy. Al, Alan yes. Trammell and Jack Morris, were the two veteran guys, and then Jim Tomey, Chipper Jones, Trevor Hoffman, and Vlad Guerrero. Mm-hmm. Uh, Twenty nineteen, the veteran guy was uh, Lee Smith, and then Mariano Rivera, Mike Musina. Lee Smith, okay. Lee Smith made it to the Hall of Fame. Lee, Lee Smith. Yeah, Lee Smith was the veteran Lee guy. Mar- great, re- great reliever yes, for like he a was. dozen teams. Yes, you're right. A dozen teams. He was a journeyman. And and, and honestly, yeah, Lee Smith played like, 20, around doesn't make he played like 23 years, okay? That's why he had as many so saves as he has. He's not Mariano Rivera. He's not Trevor Hoffman. He shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame. You have to be the best of the best. When you look at the NFL... Look how many great players Dude, are not in the Hall of Fame. Museum, you're super upset about a museum. But Je- Jeff, w- when you look at the Hall of Fame, you're bringing, you're inducting the greatest players of those eras. Albert Maybe Bell. Should be Albert Bell. I'm sorry. I'm. That's fine. Albert Bell in the '90s, if for like eight or nine years, was one of the best players in the league, if not the best player in the league. How is he not in the Hall of Fame? It doesn't make sense. When you look at these numbers, let's see, let's see. All right. In a row, 38-129, 36-101, 50-126, 48-148, 30-116, 49-152, 37-117. Are you kidding me? Look at those numbers. How many players in Major League history in a seven-year span has numbers like that? How many, Jeff? Also, a lot of cheating for Albert Bell. Oh, seven, how? How? Several, Who? Seven. Se- several times suspended for corked bats. That's cheating. Oh God. <laughs> Twenty nineteen. Uh, continue with. Hold the on. Hold on. Is that is that is that cheating? I want to ask you. Do you think a corked bat is cheating? Yes. So he cheated. Okay. And how many other players cheated? How many other players are in the Hall of Fame that cheated? George Brett with the pine tar incident. He's in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Well, well that we pine tar thing is like the mo- oh, the worst oh. rule I've ever seen. In my life. <laughs> what, 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 because, what? Because a little speck of pine tar was an inch. Hold on far. one second. Not, How many? More than a speck hold on. Hold on one second. How many times have we heard you make fun of Garrett Cole? This year, because of the whole pine oh, tar thing. I'm sorry. Give I don't me a break, oh, Jeff. I, Spider Tech. Are you kidding me, Jeff? Do you I, really? don't rec- I, don't rec- I don't recognize that name. Are you talking about Kermit? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Jeff, you've been attacking Garrett Cole all 
season because long. he stinks now without the without the oh stop it he stunk he was he was pretty dominant <laughs> he was the playoffs. third best pitcher on that rotation Nestor Cortez was better than him oh and, god um, please you you can say please. oh please he led Nestor the league in strikeouts Jeff terrific <laughs> terrific how many loogies did he have to hawk on that ball without his precious fight attack <laughs> So the rest of the 2019 ones, uh, Mariano Rivera, Mike Lucina, <laughs> Edgar Martinez, Roy Halladay. I know, I know one that you didn't think should have gotten in was Harold Baines, another one that you had. A Harold Baines was a great player for a long time, man. Uh, 2020 was Larry Walker. Uh, Ted Simmons was the veteran guy. And then Marvin Miller was an umpire that got in. And uh, Derek Jeter, of course. And Snug, and Snug says Albert Bell didn't play long enough. He played 12 years. Anything over 10 and years. Any t- anything wanna... over 10 years is a Hall of Famer. Yes, he played long you, enough. You want to? I, I don't want that Marvin guy in. I don't think any umpire should get in. Stop celebrating umpires. <laughs> Jeff, Jeff is is running the Baseball Hall of Fame now. <laughs> um, umpires are only the wefflees of baseball. <laughs> and then last year, the last one was a uh, big poppy, like we mentioned. Uh, uh-huh. Tony Oliva was a veteran guy. Yep. Buck O'Neill, another veteran guy. Minnie Minoso, a veteran guy. Jim Cott, a veteran guy, a pitcher. Uh, Gil Hodges. And uh, Bud Fowler was uh, one of the early baseball era all, guys. All deserving. All deserving. Especially Jim Cott. Jim Cott was terrific. Cam Reddish getting a lot of trade interest across the NBA. I am not surprised. No one cares. I, I know nobody cares, but uh, obviously uh, the All-Star break is coming right around the corner. I think it's a couple of weeks away. Yep. And then the trade deadline's right after that, like a week and a half after that. So uh, Cam Reddish is a name. I, I don't think the Knicks are going to get much for him. They'll probably get a second-round draft pick, maybe right. a player. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's not worth a first-round draft pick. And, and the Knicks aren't playing him. And if he's not playing, you're not going to get Knicks much for him. Knicks had a big win tonight. They beat Boston. They get, they did. They did. They came Boston back. Boston is a city. We're down bad tonight. We lost to the Knicks and the Lightning. Woof. We are down bad. Jalen Brunson had a good game. And and if Jalen Brunson plays like that, if Jalen Brunson plays like that, the Knicks are going to be very hard out in the playoffs. Now, I, I don't think the Knicks are going anywhere. They're still a piece or two pieces away from being a contender. I don't know. I don't know, man. I saw some good Knicks and I saw some bad Knicks tonight because, mm-hmm. truthfully, they were up 12 with four minutes to go. I saw that, yeah. How did that, get, how did that game go into order? You're up 12 with four minutes to go, dude. Make a couple of shots. The game's out of reach. I don't it's know. It's just a lot of great fourth. I don't know. Team, Jason yeah. Tatum is still a dominant force. Probably an MVP. Yeah, but candidate. a 12-point lead with four minutes to go. Oh, come on, dude. Yeah, well, I mean, when you have a player that good, and and by the way, it, Jason Tatum, he, he's not going, as of right now, he's not the MVP. I th- I still think it's Jokic, and he might win his, his third in a row. It, it's unbelievable. A second-round draft pick to become uh, a player of this magnitude. It's, it's, unbel- it's an unbelievable player. player. He is a terrific player. And, and not uh, a piece of shit, so he could be a Hall of Famer. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, Jeff, he's I love what you said row, about him so, like three years ago. You're it, like the the best player in the NBA that has a dad bod. This might be the Nuggets year. Well, hold on, was I not right about him from like four or five years? I know. ago? Like, no, it was the funniest was like, thing. It was one of the funniest things you ever said. Was that he's like the best player in the NBA with a dad bod? Yeah. No, he he's a fantastic player. He really is. He, I saw I saw a hilarious meme today too. I should send it to you, Errol. Yeah, you it's definitely. Got a, you it's definitely got a picture of Tupac, and he's like old and gray, <laughs> and it said this would be too. This would be Tupac if Ben Simmons was the shooter. Oh God! <laughs> because Damn. Ben Simmons would have. Because Ben Simmons would have missed. You know? <laughs> oh man, I, 
I will. It's, it's crazy, but uh, Jokic is unbelievable, and that team there, that full strength. Murray's back. This is what they expected this team to be, and and Golden State. By the way, Steph Curry, are you ever going to stop taking your mouthpiece and throwing it at people? I mean, he got thrown out of the game last night. Mm-hmm. Embarrassing. I mean, let's 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 be honest. The ref was a little overzealous. There. Come on, man. He this threw, guy's been doing he, it for he, years. He threw it because he was mad at his team. Yeah, I'm good crying. I'm good crying. No, 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 no. Listen, I agree with. I agree with you. He's it's a cry getting a little baby, too man. much with him chewing on it and things and whatever. He's, it's a weird thing with the mouthpiece. But he didn't throw it at another player. He threw it at his own bench, right? Mm-hmm. He didn't throw it at another player. He didn't throw it because he was mad at a ref. The ref was trying to inject himself into a game. That's what I don't like about refs. <sighs> when you, when you think, you think 40,000 people showed up to see you blow a whistle, get out of here, bro. I, I just think that he's a crybaby. He always gets the calls. Every single game he gets the calls. And because he didn't get the call All in the this star game, players he do cries. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. All the star players do it's ridiculous. You've seen star it's players ridiculous. rip out their mouthpiece every single game and throw it at people? I've seen no, them do you it. You want to know what I see? I see them throw their hands in the air and run every referee with their hands in the air. I.e. James Harden. I.e. Oh, LeBron. James, James Harden is the worst. Julius Randle. He gets I away with like seven travels a game. It seems like Julius Randle cries right. to his own coaches. He doesn't get enough time on the on the court. Right. Like, oh, yeah. like you. Like you have a you have a Steph Curry thing. So that's why you're going to him. But I, I could literally name thirty. NBA players that anytime the whistle blows, they throw their hands in the air like they've never committed a foul before. It's getting <laughs> out of control with some of these players. And then LeBron James says that Bronny is good enough to play for any college, you know, uh, collegiate team. So he's I, wrong. I, I, I <laughs> first of all, I, I think this, Bron- uh, this whole thing's getting ridiculous too. Do you know what number prospect? First of all, just in this senior class, mm-hmm. go ahead, look it up. It'll be fun for you. Do you know what? What where Bronny James is ranked just in his senior class? Where is he ranked? Twenty seventh. Thirty seventh. So maybe he could play for maybe he could play for a top. Uh... He could not. He could. He could not play at any university because let's be honest. Pick a pick a blue blood school: Kansas, mm-hmm. Duke, North Carolina. Any of those? They get top ten guys every year, and not all of them go to the NBA. So top 10 guys in their class every year are sticking around. And you think the 37th ranked prospect is just going to step in and play wide because his daddy's good? Get out of here. <laughs> and Duke and Kansas, according and, to And you watch. Sports, That's why Bronny will be a top 10 pick in the NBA because they know if he goes to that no, team. No, he won't. I'm no, just he saying, won't. He's I'm a second-round pick at best. Really? Mm. Interesting. Second-round pick at best. You watch. Write that one down, Speedy. Put that in the old memory bank. <laughs> Second round pick at best. Jeff's best bet of 2023. LeVar James' He's, son will be a second he, round pick. He is my anti Zayvon Collins. <laughs> you don't. You don't like LeBron James. That's why you don't like. It him. has nothing. To, yes, it, it has nothing. To, yes, no, it, it has nothing. No, it has nothing to do with that. I have never seen such hype surrounding such an average player. You've never seen someone with this low of a ranking just amongst his senior class have so much hype. Well, I would agree with you. I I, I don't think Bronny is as good as his father ex- explains him to be. And uh, also, I, I've seen Bronny play. I've watched some of the clips of some of the games that he's played in. He, his brother's better than he is. I mean, his brother yeah, plays do, on the same team. Do you, do you realize br- little Bronny sat out uh, last week against the number one team in the state of California? Just sat out 
What is oh, he doing? He's gonna get right. He's, he's gonna get right from his father. His father helped further that on, and now even the right, young kids are right, doing be, it. Because you know why? You know why that happened is because he's ranked thirty seventh, and that other high school that's number one in the state of California was coming in, and they have three kids ranked in the top twenty on that list that he was going to be playing against, and Daddy didn't want little Bronny getting exposed. <laughs> By the way, you mentioned a lot of the uh, the Blue Blood programs. Uh, uh, according to this list from 27 Sports, uh, Duke and Kansas actually did not give him an offer at all. It's, no. It's only uh, Ohio. He wanted to play for Duke. Look, Ohio State, USC, right. and Memphis Look, are the only official teams to give an offer, you, you and then Oregon why, was another one that was rumored, too. Do you know why they didn't offer him? Because he's no good and they can get better. Yeah. Well, no, you mentioned it. They have the top. The only reason why a lot of these schools would be interested in Bronny right now is because of the name. And it'll draw. Bronny. It will draw. Bronny should end up at DePaul, where he belongs. (laughs) DePaul. (laughs) Rutgers. Send him to Rutgers. Rutgers is good now. (laughs) No, Jeff's right. DePaul will be. If you want to dump him somewhere in the Big East, it's not going to get anywhere. Either there or Georgetown is probably the best bet for that. (laughs) Rutgers has actually gotten a little more legitimacy. They're actually one of the best defenses in the country. Dude, I'll give you the perfect spot for him because they struggle getting top guys. Send them to Providence. Providence <laughs> gets, sometimes gets some sneaky people. No, but that's the kind of cal- – no, listen, I'm a Providence supporter. You know it, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But that's the caliber of school. Providence is never going to be Duke or North Carolina or any of those blue bloods. I would love them to be. They're just never getting there. Mm-hmm. But that's the caliber of school Bronny belongs at. Do you know why? Why? Because he stinks. <laughs> Uh, LeBron doesn't think so. <laughs> no, LeBron says he can play at every college. Maybe he's going to fund all the NIL money. Right. <laughs> Maybe LeBron's because got Le- got boosters we don't know about. Maybe LeBron right, pays off Le- Duke. Le- it pays off Shire. Le- 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 oh, by Le- the way, I did. Again, I, I did see an article, too, uh, looking at the college basketball scores. Uh, there was an article, most under, overperforming and underperforming coaches. So they mentioned John Shire. I know you'd like that. What did I tell you? What did I tell you? Shire stinks. I mean, let's be, let's be honest. Who was going to show up to Duke and follow Mike Krzyzewski? Be honest. Was anyone going to do it? Well, I, I will tell you this. If Bobby Hurley got uh, you know, invited for an interview, I think he takes the job. Bobby Hurley would love that now, job. He would have guy, loved that the job. Guy, the guy that should have gotten the job is the guy Krzyzewski blocked from getting the job, and he would have done a really good job, Who? which was Tom, Tommy Amaker. Really? I uh, Yeah. He blocked, he, blocked, he blocked Tommy Amaker. Tommy Amaker wanted the job, had interest, called people, and, and Krzyzewski was like, no, I'm going to make it John Shire. Yeah, you're going to make it John Shire, and John Shire will be gone in three years. And, uh, you know, three I think, years, dude. You might, he might not last another three months. That we're oh, going. That's Errol's dream. <laughs> oh, I, I would love Shire to be out in three months if they could do that. They should have They should have invited an inter- I believe uh, Coach K should have asked Bobby Hurley for an interview, and I think Bobby Hurley would have loved this position. I really do. I, he's Bobby done a- Hurley wouldn't have been the guy. Danny Hurley would have been the guy. I, Danny Hurley is having. What are you kidding? Bobby Hurley stinks. He's coaching what Arizona State. Mm-hmm. He's Arizona trash. State. Yeah, they've been bad the last three right. years, but he was good before that with Arizona State. Right. You know who is having success as a coach because he was at URI and is now I like at, him UConn at URI and, yeah. and, and and thriving at UConn. I don't know what is it that UConn is like a top five, six team right mm-hmm. now. Yep. No, they right? they've been very good all year. They've been number two at Not, one point this year. Screw Bobby Hurley. Danny Hurley would have been the dude. Danny Hurley's being a successful. Listen, coach. I Bobby love Bobby. Hurley, okay, I love Bobby. I wanted Bobby here. All right, of I would have been you're happy. Like the loser brother. That's why you're an Islanders fan. You're like the B team <laughs> of everything. B team. You know what, Jeff? 
I, I love I, the Jets, B team. I love the Islanders, B team. <laughs> this is terrible. Oh, Bobby Hurley. Yeah, give me the shitty Hurley. Yeah. Perfect for an Islander fan. Yeah, you know what? I, I might be a B, but you're a C. How's that sound? Actually, you're an F. How's that sound? Does that good? Yeah, that's fine, too. I have no problem with that. <laughs> it is what it is, but I'm not wrong. Schilling's a piece of shit. Danny Hurley's the better coach. Bronny stinks. Man, <laughs> you are had some really good teams in the mid the mid part of last decade, yeah. No, no, no. They, they had a wagon. In, I know. Uh, was it the early, was it the late 80s? Or well, early yeah, 90s? also then, too. Yes, correct. That, Dude, was, was, that was their peak, yeah. Catino Mobley and oh, God, please. And, Dude, they, dude, URI was a wagon, man. URI was a no. I'm talking team. about I'm talking about Mobley and and, and obviously, um, uh, who was the other one that we were just Lamar uh, Odom. Lamar Odom. Lamar Odom. Dude, you say what you, you say what you want about their professional careers and whatever. In college, they were a wagon. They, I know, I know. Lamar Odom was a great college ball player. He was great, and so was Mobley. But in the NBA, I mean, Mobley played for Phoenix, right? Like Mobley I don't was. Remember, it was on. I think Mobley definitely. I think was Houston. Maybe he played for Phoenix. No, he did play for know. Houston. He definitely played for Houston. I think he was on Phoenix too. I think he finished his career on Phoenix. But uh, Mobley, I remember Mobley. He was a good shooter. He was a good three point shooter. But that's it. He was. He. It wasn't even a consistent three point shooter. And and Lamar Odom, he played for the Lakers. He was most known for the Lakers. So and he he won a couple right, of titles. But like, but he played with Kobe right, Bryant. But like, right, but like think about like when was the last time you saw like the only other time I can think of like. Two NBA players because it's so rare that you get two pretty good at like say what you want. Lamar Odom was a pretty good NBA. Yes, player. he was. He really, he, he really, was a right? pretty good. It's pretty good. It's really, it's really rare that you get two pretty good NBA players on a team in college that like, dude, who's URI, right? Like, who are they? Like, they're not, they're not one of the blue blood schools. So to have two NBA players there is really remarkable. The only other time I could think of something like that happening is at, like, St. Joe's when they had Jameer Nelson and Delonte West. They right. had, like, the best back. They were the number the one seed that year, and I think they lost in yeah. the Elite Eight. Yeah. Right, but, like, who's St. Joe's? Who gives a shit? But all of a sudden you produce two pretty good NBA players? That's remarkable. Yeah, I'm looking at Lamar Odom. He, he averaged 13 points a game in his career, eight rebounds. Yeah, he was a pretty good, he was a pretty good NBA player. He's above average. So, right, yes. But in college, he was, like, a t- 25, 26 point. Dude, you know what I'm saying? Like he was, he was getting it. No, seventeen point six, nine point four, three point eight in the ninety eight, ninety nine season for URI. Yeah, and then, and then, and then they also had a pretty good rivalry with the John Calipari UMass team at the time, yes. who had right. uh, uh, Lou Rowe and Marcus Canby, and like yep. those, like yeah, yep. dude, yeah, that was the height of Northeast basketball, bro. Oh, that was when basketball was so much better than it is now. I mean, there was some great teams, right? Because yeah. right, because LeBron James wasn't like a Oh, hold on. LeBron James never went. He never played college ball. He went right from high school. No, no, no. No, no, no. I'm just just attributing the downfall. Could you imagine if LeBron James actually played college basketball for one year? Does he win a national championship? I don't know. No, because he... No, because he would have passed to some loser with a passing grade, and it just he would have missed the open shot. Like you know, like the like he. That's what he does. He has to let someone else try to make the shot. Like with Ray Allen in the finals. You know, uh, a lot of those, a lot of those preseason hype, super like freshman teams. Kyrie Irving win. So. Cleveland. He, he gave it. He gave the ball to Kyrie Irving. Or Grady Dick. <laughs> Well, just in general, like a lot of the a lot of those super hype freshman teams don't usually oh, win. Look at look at look at Duke in twenty nineteen. Zion, RJ, and you don't even, yeah, you don't even need to go there. Yeah, I'll give you the best example of that. Forget all the other examples. The best example of that is the Fab Five. Yeah, they didn't win shit. Right. 
<laughs> You're right. Uh, Catino Mobley was drafted by the Rockets. Then he went to Orlando. One year with the Kings. Oh, half a year with the Kings. Traded the line. And then played for the Clippers. When the Clippers like the worst team of the Western Conference. Yes. That's right, who but, I... He, right, played for the, he played for the Clippers. Not Phoenix. Right, That's but it's mean. just rare to have two NBA players on like one of these like mid-level schools at the same time. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. Like, imagine if Marquette had Dwayne Wade... And somebody else, right? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like that would be that would be remarkable. Like Damian Lillard, I think when he was drafted from Weber State, like he was like the only guy there for a while. But they made the tournament a couple times with him. Yeah, like 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 just pretend like you know uh, Marvin Bagley or someone was it Murray State with John Morant? Like right. you'd be like, how the hell did Murray State get these two guys? Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I remember that team too. By the way. I remember that team. Remember UNLV? <laughs> With Greg Anthony? Of course. The only team who scored 100 points at, at national championship game. Oh, man. That, that team was one of the greatest teams I ever watched play basketball. That was a fantastic team. Yeah, they really were terrific. Was, they were really fun to watch. And then there was the, but that was different the than Five. Like, <laughs> but that was different than, like, the big teams back Never then won. aren't big anymore because UNLV was really big. You know who the other one that was big uh, back then? Kentucky. Like, in that era? I, Kentucky. No, dude, Arkansas. Arkansas, Arkansas, they, Arkansas was good, yes. Yes, they were. Yeah, they, they had, um, they had, they, they, their whole slogan was, like, 40 minutes of hell. And they, who was their coach? The coach with the, he looked like Cleveland Brown from Family Guy. Um <laughs> I know who you're talking about, too. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh I keep forgetting his name, but yeah, he was a good Speedy's coach. looking it up. And, He's looking it up. Yeah, the Arkansas coach from, like, I don't know, the early 90s or something. Mid-90s. Yeah, it was mid-90s. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember that Arkansas team. You're right. Also, Arizona was really good in the 90s, too. They had some pretty good teams. They won a national yeah, they championship. Had, yeah. Yo, the Bibby, the Bibby team and Miles Simon and those dudes. Yeah. yeah, they had good teams. Yes. They won the national champion. I think they beat Kentucky that year, right? I think it was Kentucky. I think one. so. Yeah, that sounds right. Uh, yeah. I'm trying to see this. I coach. remember. Yeah. Uh, it's okay, Speedy. You don't have to look it up. It, it's good. You, uh, Jeff, you want to do your picks? Oh, yeah. yeah. What are the standings so far? So if you're talking about for the playoffs. You and I both went three and one last week, as did Derek, and then uh, Errol was two and two. And I'm going. Oh, so we're in first. Yes. So we're in first. Yep. Mm-hmm. And uh, Errol's in last. By the way, Jeff, is it Nolan Richardson <laughs> that you're thinking of? Was the coach? Nolan Richardson, dude? Nolan Richardson. And by the way, you want an unbelievable <laughs> Nolan Richardson story too? Yes, you should ass. check out Nolan Richardson's Hall of Fame speech when he was talking about Larry Bird. You'll fall over laughing, bro. You know you're such an ass. Okay. What? You just are. You're you're an ass. All right, Why, Speedy. No, why would I say, well, what's wrong about? No We're in first, Errol's in last. <laughs> Wait, but you're in last by two games now. I. That's great. I don't care. Maybe we should go out of order. Would you like to pick first this time? No, I'm good. I, I'm going I'm going with the teams I want to go with. Would that help the mojo? Maybe we can get you out of no, the basement. You're a, I'm you're fine. a cellar dweller. I'm fine. When it comes in baseball, Speedy, Errol's a cellar dweller. Okay, Jeff. Are you ready? I'm gonna. I'm gonna give you a cellar dweller. He's like the beeb, a cellar dweller. Yeah. Uh, all right. Here we go. So we'll start with the NFC Championship game, the 49ers at the Eagles. I've been back and forth with this all week. Now the themes, a lot of the themes with these mutual teams have been uh, with when it comes to the 49ers and uh, the 49ers and the Bengals are the teams that are streaking in. They're both have double-digit win streaks right now. The Eagles and the Chiefs, the two home teams. 
And the Niners and the Chiefs, could they lose back-to-back NFC Championship games again? But I think the Niners, I think this is their first test of adversity here because I didn't, they didn't prove a lot against Dallas to me where they did other concepts that made it work. I didn't like the play calling from Kyle Shanahan this game, and I thought they still were exposed on the outside. I think this is a bigger game for A.J. Brown. I think Traverius Ward, they're going to move him on Devontae Smith instead. I think that would be the better game plan because he has experience in the slot. That being said, I also don't know if the Niners can get some pressure from the other end, not Nick Bosa, because the Eagles' offensive line is very good. So I like the Eagles to be able to move the ball for that reason. Now, the Niners will be able to expose the slot. They'll be able to run the ball. This game will be very close, but I think this is the first game that you see. You're going to see some pressure on Brock Purdy. This is a very loud crowd. And I just think the Niners, they have a trouble starting slower in games. And I don't know if they'll be able to catch up to the Eagles later on. So I'm going to take the Eagles. I think it's going to be a very close game. A game of field goals. Both these red zone offenses will struggle. But I'm going to take the Eagles in a close one. 23-20. to 20. Jeff. Yeah. Speedy, I think I agree with you. I think I like the Eagles in this game. I, honestly, it's a coin flip. Both defenses are very good. Both offensive lines are very good. The only glaring difference maybe here is is the play at quarterback. Brock Purdy is Mr. Irrelevant. Jalen Hurts is irrelevant to Alabama uh, <laughs> since he's Oklahoma quarterback Jalen Hurts. And and I think that that's where the difference is. Like, the 49ers could have and should have gotten beat if Dak Prescott wasn't a big piece of shit. Jalen Hurts <laughs> isn't a piece of shit. I'm taking the Eagles. Yeah, I like the Eagles in this game. And, and again, you look you at... You t- take the other side, you'll never catch up. No, I, I, I don't care. I knew he wasn't going. So. First of all, first of all, I am an Eagles guy, and I am not betting against the Eagles. I don't think San Francisco's any good at the quarterback position. I am not a big Brock Purdy fan at all. Prescott. I'm not. But I, I, I do think that they're very evenly matched. I do. I think the special teams is a little bit more on the Eagles' side. I, and I also think that the Eagles are pretty well put together. I think their secondary is the, one of the best in football with, with obviously, Darius Slay and Johnson. This is a good secondary that can Jordan stop. Davis. Yes, we all know about Jordan Davis. But <laughs> Does Jordan Davis have an interception, Jeff? <laughs> I don't trust San Francisco's secondary in this game. I don't know if they, they can stop. I don't know if they can stop A.J. Brown. I don't know if they can stop Smith. So I, I think that's going to be the big problem is the secondary of the San Francisco 49ers defense. And really, I believe that Jalen Hurts is going to cause a lot of mismatches, especially when he starts to use his legs in this game. I think he's going to open up the field. He's going to open up the running game for Sanders. And I think San Francisco is going to have a problem stopping the running game. Give me Philadelphia. And it's not going to be close. It's, a, it's, it's probably going to be, I'm going to predict 25 to 15, something like that. There is no way San Francisco is going to be in this game at any point. Mm-hmm. By the way, before I get to the AFC Championship game pick, our resident Eagles fan, Derek, of course he's picking the Eagles as well. So now the AFC Championship game, Cincinnati Bengals. He picked, he picked the Eagles under his alias? Yes, he picked the Eagles under the alias, yes. Maybe maybe he'll be the uh, the Philadelphia AFL affiliate, yeah. for all we know. I can't uh, wait for this game. kid's real name. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the alias of Mountain picks his Eagles. So Chiefs hosting the Bengals now. Obviously, a lot has been unknown with the Patrick Mahomes injury. He has been practicing the last two games. Now, here's the thing. It's very interesting because the Bengals throughout the year have had a lot of trouble playing down to a lot of these teams with either quarterback issues or backup quarterbacks in this game. We saw Cooper Rush, of all people, beat them in the beginning of the season, Jacoby Brissett, and even the playoff game against the Ravens. They didn't play great in that game either. And Errol's even saying the Ravens would probably win by double digits if Lamar Jackson was playing in that mm-hmm. game. So the Bengals, a lot of the times, the game planning has not been great with them. Now, I, did, I, I will applaud Zach Taylor the way he played last uh, coach last week. That being said, I don't know if Joe Mixon's able 
able to run the same way against the Bills that he did against the against the Chiefs because the Chiefs do have a top t- uh, number eight run defense in the league. Also, the interior rush with the three offensive linemen that are hurt, two tackles out. I think it's going to be a lot harder against the Chiefs with Carl Loftus, with Chris Jones. I think it's going to be a lot more pressure. So I think the Chiefs defense will be able to keep him in the games and hold him the field goals. Offensively, I think it'll be a struggle, but I think Andy Reid now with a full week to game plan him, I think he'll be able to turn those into touchdowns. They'll be able to contain Travis Kelsey, but watch out for Jeff, you'll like this one. It pays me to admit, watch out for Kadarius Toney in this game. I think he's going to be an X factor, a guy in motion. Patrick Mahomes will do a lot of shovel passes. And I think Jarek McKinnon or Pacheco, one of those guys will do well receiving. Give me the Chiefs, one-point game. I don't think they win, lose two in a row in Arrowhead. 21-20. Well, Speedy, you don't think they will lose two in a row in Arrowhead, but yet they did last year, and they are again going to this year. Because Patrick Mahomes has a, a, a terrible condition called Dak Prescott foot. <laughs> That's what he has right now. He has Dak Prescott foot, and it's a terrible injury because Patrick Mahomes' greatest strength is being able to move in and out of the pocket and make, make creative plays. And since he's got Prescott foot now, that that's going to hamper that ability. I like the Bengals because their offense is rolling. We're going to rename the stadium Burrowhead. <laughs> I hope you're right. I actually hope I'm wrong on both picks, but I have Eagles chiefs. They won, they won twice last year, and they already won in, in Burrowhead once this year. They're going to lose twice again this year, too, Speedy. I'm going to call this game the swag game because it's two quarterbacks that have a lot of swag. Joe Burrow uh, last week. Uh, swag. He yeah. looks like Darlene from Roseanne. <laughs> Joe Burrow you think last Darlene week. from Roseanne has swag. <laughs> Jeff, you got to admit the cigar photo is iconic. Joe Burrow. No, it's not because he's got an idiot brother that's on TikTok too much, and I hate his stupid. Oh, I think, oh I think I'm a Burrow. My bad. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. No, no, no. Burrow has swag. Darlene, dude, Patrick Holmes looks like Darlene from Roseanne. Gotcha. Joe Burrow last week went into Buffalo and absolutely shocked everybody, knocking off Josh Allen in that. Power defense, and I think going into Arrowhead, it, it, obviously it's going to be cold. It's not going to be snowy. Uh, the question is: Is Joe Mixon going to be able to run the ball in this game? He ran the ball very well last week. So did Piran. If they do that this week, uh, it's not going to be even close. Now, the thing about Patrick Mahomes going into this game is: How is his ankle? Is his ankle going to hold up throughout this game? He's going to have two weeks before the Super Bowl if if they get out of this game where he's going to have time to heal and, and time to get some cortisone in his leg. I don't know how healthy he's going to be in this game. I don't. And if he can't throw on his back le- back foot, he's going to have problems pitching the ball and doing the things that he does very well, especially moving out of the pocket and making those deep passes that he loves to do either to Travis Kelsey, Kadarius Tony, or one of those guys. So I, I think he's going to have problems doing that in this game. And also... Are they going to get enough pressure on Joe Burrow? Joe Burrow has one of the fastest releases in the NFL. You saw on on Sunday last week, his release was fantastic. He got the ball out quick. Jamar Chase was open in every aspect of the game. And T. Higgins, again, really didn't have one of those big games. I want to see, I, we haven't really even seen the great part and the great aspect of his game in T. Higgins and what he could do. He has been the best wide receiver all season long for the Bengals. And ever since Jamar Chase came back, it's been all Jamar Chase. And, and Tyler Boy had a pretty decent game last week. I want to see T. Higgins. I think T. Higgins will have a big game uh, this coming Sunday. Give me the Bengals in this game. The Bengals will win 20 
to 17. That's right. disappointing. You you might be able to gain a game on Speedy, but not me. You're still going to be in last. That's terrible. And Who cares? The, the alias of Derek also has the Chiefs in this one as well, so he's agreeing with me. He's thinking Eagles Chiefs, Andy Reid versus his former team. It, it's just kind of hard. Like Everything on paper says the Bengals. I, just, I would love to see Andy Reid versus the Eagles. I would love to yes, see. Yes, I, I know you would. Uh, everything on paper says the, a lot of things that say the Bengals. I just can't see both the Chiefs and the 49ers losing in the conference championship games two years in a row. I would, I, I, as much as I, I think Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback right now in the NFL, I would love to see <clears throat> Joe Burrow go into another Super Bowl and maybe have a chance to win. I don't think he beats the Eagles. I, I don't think whoever comes out of the AFC has no chance against the Eagles. I think the Eagles are going to win the Super Bowl this year. Mm. It doesn't matter who comes out of that game. They're going to have a problem think, with the Eagles. I think the, I think the Bengals have the weapons to get the offense going against the Eagles, though. I do. I, I, the secondary... The secondary of the Eagles is pretty damn good, and uh, right, but they, right, but they're going to have to match up tight ends on yes. um, on um, uh, Hayden Hurst, who's a terrific tight end. I think the Eagles. Right? Like, I think the Eagles. Can, a, yeah, good. That'll Sorry. be a linebacker covering him. That's not secondary, dude. I then think sling it to Mixon on the backfield. I like the Bengals. I think the Eagles could shut down the 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 Kansas City Chiefs. They could put pressure up the middle for for Patrick Mahomes, and even with Patrick Mahomes getting two weeks. Uh, to heal, he's still not going to be 100%. A high ankle sprain, it takes three to four <clears throat> weeks to heal. He is not right, going to be the, 100%. Another reason why I don't like Mahomes this week, because the game, it's going to be cold in Kansas City, and the cold does not help that injury. No, it doesn't. And that's why he's, you're going to see a lot of heat go on his leg or his ankle every single time he goes to the bench. And it's going to be cold. It's a, so. it's a crippling condition, Prescott Foot. Crippling condition. <laughs> Prescott Foot. It can, it's taken down the whole state of Texas before. <laughs> Jeff, thank you for calling, bud. And, and one residence on Long Island I know of for sure. <laughs> it's, ruined, it's ruined that residence. No, he doesn't like Dak anyway, though. Oh, God. <laughs> what are you talking about? He's going to win three in a row. You'll see. Yeah, and then he also posted on Facebook two weeks ago, Dak is garbage. Yeah. Well, he he's finally coming around to see the light. Listen, I, I'm probably the only one that doesn't blame Dak Prescott for that full loss, okay? Probably the only person in the world. Come on, dude. He's got, he's got a hand in it. If you had a pie No, he did. He, 100% percentages. had a hand in the, lo- the loss. Absolutely does. But he wasn't right, but all, you, he wasn't where all at fault. Where are you placing the blame for that loss, then? Where are you pl- placing the blame for that? I, I didn't say it was – I said Dak Prescott's half – of the reason why they lost. How about the fourth quarter and the way the defense played? They didn't play well in the fourth quarter. They could not they stop were, but, Christian McCaffrey. Hold on. Right, and Mike they, McCarthy, the play calling at the in the fourth quarter, especially the last five, six minutes of the game, horrible. They had a chance to win. They had a chance to die. Right, but is the play calling McCarthy or is the play calling Kellen Moore? Because, because I'll tell you this. When the Cowboys succeed and they throw it all around, everyone goes, wow, Kellen Moore's a genius. And then when the offense sputters, they go, ah, damn, Mike McCarthy. Pick a lane on who's, who's responsible for the offense. I'm not a Cowboy fan, so I blame Mike McCarthy. It goes through Mike McCarthy. He's the one that, you know, says, okay, run but that you play. you agree with it when they do good. They, they, they praise Kellen Moore for it, correct? Oh, 100%. I, I think Kellen Moore is horrible. He should be fired. He should have been fired whole, after they lost the that game. The whole organization should be fired. <laughs> Everyone, Jerry Jones should call himself into his office this week and fire himself. What, he's going to look in the mirror? You're fired? 
Call Donald Trump. But but at what point can he realize that he's part of the problem and maybe he needs the hand control? To, like maybe not. Like maybe maybe he doesn't give him full control. Maybe Jerry Jones still has a say, but there needs to be somebody else running that organization because Jerry Jones ain't it, bro. Uh, I don't know. No. Uh, no, I, don't, I, I, I think Jerry Jones is past his time, okay? I mean, I'm surprised he's not dead yet. Okay? I mean, the guy's, what, yeah, 89 looks, years old? He looks, like, he looks like that thing from Tales of the Crypt. Remember <laughs> the Crypt Keeper? That's what he looks like at this point. Oh, I love that. I, I love that show. I love that show. <laughs> but, this, but this is what it is. Like, you know, I, I could say this about a lot of people, right? Like a lot of he's people. He's 80 that, years old, well, Jerry Jones. Uh, dude, I'll, I'll, dude, I'll tell you this. I've said the same thing about Jim Harbaugh. Jim Harbaugh is like a run-only guy, and he runs all the time. Dude, it's not the 80s anymore, bro. Throw the football. Did you, right? And I think the game has passed him by. It's why Michigan never succeeds. Shout out, Paul. <laughs> and that was Jeff Staley's shot at Michigan. I will say this no, before we let you a, go. It's not, a, it's not a shot at Michigan. It's reality. When they had to throw the ball the last two years, they couldn't do it, correct? Yes. All they could do, all they could do is run. And then when their best player, their running back, Blake Corum, gets hurt, they're caught with their pants down, and they're going, well, what do we do now? And they have no clue what to do. I the will game say, has passed Jim Harbaugh. I will, say this, I will say this before we go. Mike McCarthy actually had a press conference today, and he says that Jerry Jones wants him to be the, the Cowboys coach as long as Tom Landry. That's never going to happen. Okay. That is never going to happen. Mike McCarthy, if this team doesn't get into the NFC title game next year, he will be fired. 110%. Book that because Sean Payton's lurking. He'll be sitting there ready to take over. I, I think Sean Payton's getting another job this year. He's, mm-hmm. By the way, just so you know, like this is an interesting tidbit. This is what makes me think Sean Payton is yeah. the next Cardinals coach. Yeah. Every sports book in Las Vegas mm-hmm. has now taken down the prop where they think Sean Payton will end up. Mm-hmm. They have eliminated. Like you could have bet it before. You can no longer bet where Sean Payton is going to be a coach. Mm-hmm. And if Vegas knows something, and by the way, Vegas is very good at their job. I think Sean Payton's the next Cardinals coach. Okay. So he won't even have a shot to be the, the, the Cowboys coach. I'm, I'm looking by, forward by to By the way, uh, Tom, Landry, Tom Landry coached 29 seasons in the NFL. So Mike McCarthy, you got 26 more years to go if you're going to make it there. Yeah, that's not going to happen. I'm not happen. even sure the food supply chain could hold up in Texas. <laughs> <laughs> There's so much barbecue joys in Texas, Jeff. He'll be able to figure it out. <laughs> Beave is going to be, uh, you know, med flighting in some coleslaw to, uh, to McCarthy <laughs> to keep him stable. He's going to be doing those. He's going to be doing those UNICEF food <laughs> drops into Dallas. Here's some potato salad, buddy. Stay strong. <laughs> All right, Jeff. We got to let you go. All right, boys. Cheers. Let's go, Bengals. Jeff from Tampa. He's out of his mind. He really is. He's going to drop coleslaw. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, what a show. <laughs> uh, thank you uh, to ex-Falcon, Titan, and Eagles uh, safety and founder of Sneakerhead University, Antoine Harris, for joining us. And also thank you 
Dex, Cowboy, Bronco, and Jaguars defensive end and founder of Mr. Mince Production. Jeremy Mincy, fantastic guys. Thank you for giving us the time. Um, thank you to all the fans. Thank you to everybody. Listen to the Weekend Crunch, which airs every single Saturday this week at 7 o'clock. No, we're still on the Islander game for this week. Okay. Next two weeks will be normal again. All right, so 10.30 uh, after the Islander game on 103.9 FM, tune in as well. We have some of the best uh, content you can listen to when it comes to sports radio on an FM dial. Um, and uh, we'll be back next Wednesday, 7 p.m. Who do we have next week? Next week, the only one definitively known right now is uh, returning to the show, ex-Raiders safety Stuart Schweiger. Oh, I love Schweiger. He'll be joining us at 8 o'clock. Stuart is a good guy and a great follow, guys, oh, yeah. on social media. So. Uh, and he knows his stuff, and he's funny as hell. So, and he's got a lot of stories. So, stay tuned. I have always wanted Stuart to get back on it since the last time. It's been almost a year since Stuart's been on the show. So, looking forward to getting Stuart on again. Well, that's it. We'll be back next week. Good night. It's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.